Hello, and welcome to another session of the Corona Investigative Committee, the 101st meeting, and today the title is Constructive Interferences. Lots of things are going on. Um, exceptionally, I think it had happened only once that we both were in Zoom, but we are real, we are in life, and um, we are on the screen in color. So, uh, both of us are traveling in our missions, and this is why we can't be um, at our normal table, but um, in mind and spirit, we are working on our matter. Today, we have called our session in constructive interferences because there's so many things that are so important for us that we take a close look at them. For us, it, is, um, it doesn't matter if things happen in China or not, but it's important that we look at all the points where we can pick up synergies and where we can learn from others from the risks and the problems that they may be facing. And against this background, I think we should uh, start off with our topic, if Rainer has nothing to add. No, we just have a video that we would like to start as a, um, an introduction. We have uh, some uh, other videos as well, but this one refers to the, to the situation in Israel, and it is to highlight again that exactly in the countries where vaccinations are most rampant, the disaster is the worst. We'd like to show this so nobody believes that we're only imagining things, um, but so that you can see where um, vaccination is rifest and this Israel is among them, the disaster is worst. Yes, um, and this describes the situation after the vaccination. So when he said when he said standard uh, five deaths a day or five burials a day, then that is before the vaccinations, and after the vaccinations, it's between twelve and fifteen a day. And I think that's only the beginning. Um, but there's so many conflicting information from all over the world, in particular from China, and that's what we're going to focus on. But before we then start talking to Manyang, 
how do you pronounce your name, Manyan? It's correct, it's correct. Manyan. Okay, very good. Yeah. Uh, before we ask him uh, to give us some insight into what's really going on in China, let us take a look at some short video clips um, that dis that seems to describe what the situation in Shanghai is like. Is this playing or? I don't think there's not. I, um, I'm going to ask Corvin what's going on. Uh -huh. No, it's playing. Keep going. This is a chicken that is killed. It's finally come. So many people are killed. I'm dying. Just a minute. Five minutes. 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 Yes。要命了。这个状态到底维持到啥个程度
Wow, that is uh, that's really like mysterious. What's going on there? Maybe, um, yeah, uh, it would be good um, if you could maybe uh, introduce yourself. You are um, from the Epoch Times and um, have special knowledge about China. Um, but maybe could you give us a bit more details and then maybe explain to us what's going on, what we can see there. Okay. Um, okay, I was uh, born in Hong Kong and uh, then I actually went to Sweden for study. And after that, I worked for a multinational company uh, in Sweden. And then later I moved to Germany. I also worked for another multinational company. And, uh, and then uh, after, uh, say about 20 years ago, I started to get very interested in uh, human rights situation in China. So, um, so I joined also a human rights organization and being responsible to monitor what is going on in China. And also I work for Epoch Times. Uh, so I'm uh, one of the, uh, you can say, uh, the, one of the founder of Epoch uh, Times in Europe. And, uh, and now I'm also acting as a kind of a China expert for them because, uh, yeah, I do know a little bit. Uh, during, during my work for those uh, big company, I was uh, responsible for actually the, almost the whole world market and where Chinese market, of course, is part of it. And because I speak Chinese, uh, so, so I, I was pretty often there. So I have a little bit insight uh, in this country, which is very special. So um, yeah, that's basically me. Uh, so uh, I have to say that those, uh, those video clips you show, I could not see on my computer. Yeah, I only hear some, some voice, but it's okay. I guess it's about what is happening uh, in the last, uh, say, three weeks in, in, in Shanghai. It's just, uh, uh, just for me, a crazy lockdown. Yeah? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and uh, maybe you should be probably aware that in, uh, the, the, the top, the top uh, leadership of uh, the Chinese Communist Party with uh, Mr. Xi Jinping, as the leader, he personally yeah, uh, ordered and uh, decided and, uh, and, and also he checked the execution of his policy called zero tolerance policy. Sometimes it's also called zero case policy, which means we will make sure that there is no more COVID case in the whole China. So he has the ambition to eliminate all COVID-19 virus, uh, which is for me a, a crazy thing. Yeah? And, and what happened is, why they do it? Well, partly maybe because the party boss uh, not always get the right information. Uh, you know that in, uh, in China is a one-party dictatorship and all dictators suffer the problem from you know, the new clothes of the emperor. Yeah? So uh, a lot of people may know the the truth about COVID-19, but they, they, they even dare not to, to tell the, the boss because uh, if you are politically not correct, then you are actually uh, risking your own life. So, so anyway, he believed that he can use this COVID as a showcase to show the world that the socialistic system with Chinese characteristic is the most superior system in the world. So. He, he, what he wished 
was. The whole world suffered from COVID. Everywhere you hear terrible uh, statistics, how many people died, how many people uh, get infected. But China managed to have uh, very little people die and even managed to, to eliminate uh, uh, the, the, the COVID-19. So, and the problem is, uh, for about uh, two months ago, it, it was a new outbreak different places in China. Everybody talk about Shanghai because Shanghai is, is a financial center, is one of the biggest uh, mega city in the world. And, and China stands for, uh, sorry, Shanghai stands for 20% uh, of China trade with the, with, with the world. So of course, everybody talk about Shanghai, but actually in 20 provinces, basically all over China, you have different cities, big cities like Guangzhou, Chongqing, Changchun, and so on, they also have uh, this kind of outbreak. Uh, and so the, the, the party boss got crazy that, uh, you know, COVID's coming back, and probably this time it's Omicron. And uh, so, so he, he insisted it must be possible to bring China down to the situation of zero case. And for that, basically, to explain it, their, their measure, their method to bring it to zero case is to treat human beings like pigs. You know, when you have pigs, when you, in a pig farm, if you discover some pigs uh, are infected uh, by what sort of uh, uh, epidemic, then you, you will isolate those uh, pigs you know, without any consideration of uh, 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 human uh, dignity uh, or, or animal dignity you just you just isolate them uh, you even uh, kill them burn them and so on uh, i mean the only difference is they don't burn up they don't kill <laughs> people by burning them but otherwise it's the same way he ordered the, the party boss order anyone who are tested positive must be immediately without any delay be isolated from the rest of the people and that created a tremendous uh, uh, social tragedy. Yeah? And no consideration to age, 90 years old or, or one year old child, they even took away the child from their parents yeah, to, to the quarantine. And, and a total lockdown, a total lockdown, I don't mean they locked down immediately the whole mega city, Shanghai. Uh, you know that uh, for, for maybe not everybody know, Shanghai officially has 26 million people, but in reality, it has 35 million and not 26 because there are a lot of people who are not registered in Shanghai, but are in Shanghai and the migrants. Um, if, if I may interject, yeah. Nanyan, um, yes. we just to tell you what the, uh, video clips showed that we uh, just played. Yeah. Yeah. One of them um, uh, showed uh, small children uh, mm. dressed in, I don't know what this stuff is, but uh, apparently they're dressed like they're going to go for a walk on the moon. Uh, but it's nothing funny about that. Um, then there is another video that shows um, apparently in a, in a large um, uh, residential area, lots of high rises, a, a drone flying around and this female voice telling the people, I guess something like control your soul's desire for freedom, do not open the windows, do not sing. And then there's a third video that showed how they picked up, I guess they call it confiscated 
animals, dogs, but it, it really doesn't look like confiscation. It looks as though they're taking these animals to kill them. What is this true? Does this show what's really going on? Uh, with the with the animal, I have to admit I don't know. I have not. Mm -hmm. uh, I was not informed about that. But with the with the children, yes, I just mentioned before. You know, even if the child is only one year old, uh, and uh, and 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 if this child is tested positive or have any symptom of COVID, then uh, the child will be taken away from the parents and to put into a children quarantine. But that. They are dressed like uh, uh, astronaut. That uh, that I haven't uh, seen. I, I don't know. I don't think maybe uh, maybe that happened, but more as an individual case. It's not a, a general situation. But to separate children from their parents because these children are supposed to be infected, that is absolutely true. Yeah, uh, and also people. Um, what 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 is true that I've seen is um, you know. In the evening, when it is dark, hundreds, hundreds of um, apartments of the high-rise building, they open the window and people start to shout, we want food, we want freedom, and so on. Because people are locked into those high-rise buildings, those who are not tested positive, who are negative, and they are not allowed to leave their apartment, and absolutely not allowed to leave the house. And they are not even allowed to order online, uh, you know, food stuff to be delivered by, by those online shops because they claim that uh, the, 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 the messenger or the, the carrier of the goods may also spread the virus. So the way for people to buy food is to inform their so-called neighborhood committee in China every high-rise building or sometimes three, four, five uh, high-rise building together as a group. And there is a so-called neighborship committee or neighborhood committee. These are people who actually help the party to keep monitoring the people and checking. Yeah? Now in COVID time, they got a new job. All the uh, inhabitants should order food from these people. And these people will collect all the uh, uh, order of food and they will centrally go and purchase and distribute it to all the apartments. But the thing is, this neighborhood committee, normally they, they don't do such things. So they are totally overloaded. And in most cases, they don't even know all this logistic, the management and totally undermanned. Yeah? So many people, they order food, but they never get the food. And maybe also due to corruption, you know, some people may have even taken money and never delivered what they what what they have promised. So, and that led to many many Shanghai people. They have too little food. They suffer from hunger, and that's why they they bang on their uh, 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 whistle of what anything they find in the in the apartment that can make noise. Uh, they make the noise and shout. We are hungry. We need food. We want freedom because they don't. They don't think it's necessary to be locked down in that way. So that is. How, uh, how does how does the rest of China react to this? Do they know what's going on in Shanghai? Is this a special situation in Shanghai, or is what what we're seeing there? Is this true 
everywhere where they see, uh, I guess, positive test cases. Is, is, is this done by with a PCR test or how do they find out if someone is a case? <laughs> oh, it's a chaos. Okay, first of all, uh, some people in other parts of China may know what is going on in Shanghai, but they are the minority because mm -hmm. in China, uh, the party have a almost 100% control of information flow. Yeah, there's no one single media uh, which is not controlled by the party. And you may think, oh, people can go into internet, but unfortunately, the internet in China, when you are inside China, uh, is is uh, censored. Yeah, so they have a they have the world most sophisticated firewall that can filter away a lot of information that the party doesn't want people to see. Yeah? So, so I, I think many people, they don't know what is going on in Shanghai, but there are a lot of speculation because they notice, you know, uh, that, uh, uh, for example, delivery is a problem, you know, all the Shanghai company, they, they do not manage uh, to keep the delivery time. And maybe they have some relative in Shanghai, they call them and, you know, those people, they find out, but not through uh, public media. Yeah, mm -hmm. and so this, so this is uh, the, the first question, and the second question about the uh, you know why 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 this uh, uh, terrible lockdown? We have to understand that the government of China they make everything political. Okay, they officially they say, oh, our medical expert, you know, our virology says this and that, and that's why we need to do all this tough lockdown uh, and, and so on. But actually, the whole thing is, uh, in, in Shanghai, it is more trouble than other because Shanghai is the most modern city of China. And Shanghai people are also the most informed people because Shanghai traditionally also today have a lot of contact with the whole world, with foreign world. Yeah? It's a kind of window of China to the outside world. So, so to, to cheat Shanghai people is more difficult than the other. Yeah? So a lot of, and also the, the, the average level education in Shanghai is also higher. So a lot of people actually, they don't believe in this zero case or zero tolerance policy. They think it's better, uh, 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 like many other countries now, to try to coexist uh, with, with, the, with the virus. Yeah? And, and then uh, the, 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 the thing is, China is, they, the way they fight COVID is through administrative methods. Every day, the central government, <clears throat> sorry, will give a new directive, yeah, and telling them you have to do this, you have to do that. You mentioned about PCR. Um, yes, they have to do PCR tests, and then they they structure or they organize Shanghai into many many small areas. I think the whole Shanghai is divided into something like ten thousand area. Okay because Shanghai is a, is a mega city. So even if you have 10,000 parts, every part is still a lot of people in it. Uh, so, and then they classify this area in three categories. Uh, you know, the, the most serious category and then the middle one and then the, the low one. Uh, so those so-called high risk area, people have to make, have to do PCR tests every day. And then, the, the medium area, uh, uh, then they have to do, I think, every second day. 
and then the other every third or fourth day. Yeah, so that's how how they do it, and and um, and the way they force people to do it is just crazy because many many people are saying, "Hey, you say that uh, Omicron is very uh, transmittable, and now you force people." in those so-called high-risk area, every day to go to the test center where you get people crowded. And this is, this is, a, this is the way you, you start to, 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 to infect each other. So it's crazy. And, and you know, China, Shanghai had a lot of people. So long queue and crowded in all sorts of test centers because every day you have to go there. So, and that actually makes it even worse, yeah? Uh, the situation in Hong Kong actually proved that uh, be before before the the Chinese Communist Party introduced the so-called national security law in Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong was then doing more or less like uh, uh, I would say like uh, Taiwan, a very reasonable way of uh, fighting COVID, and they have very good result, very low that that too that all, and a very low infect infection, yeah, for 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 a whole year, and then. The communist government took over Hong Kong uh, and, and directly give order to Hong Kong and made the same zero case tolerance lockdown. And you know what happened? <laughs> For a whole first year of uh, uh, COVID in Hong Kong has very low uh, death toll, something like, I don't remember the figure, yeah, but I guess uh, something maybe like 100. Yeah? And since they push Hong Kong for zero case and total lockdown and force every person in Hong Kong to, to queue up every day for PCR tests, the number of infected people jump up and number of people killed. In, within a few months since they forced Hong Kong for this uh, total lockdown, the number of deaths becomes 7,000. <clears> so it's interesting, yeah? it's very interesting. And, and, and they are now doing the same thing in, in Shanghai. And uh, now I, why I say that everything become political because uh, in a one party system, uh, all the government official, the local official in Shanghai, for them it's important to make sure that they don't get fired, that, but the other way around get promoted. And the way to get promoted, you always do as a boss say. So when Xi Jinping, I mean the party boss say, zero tolerance, no discussion. That's the only way. So every every local official try to make their area zero case, and it is so crazy that they even took those positive test people, put them in a in a bus, and drive them far away, five hundred kilometer away, and let them out in another town, and then they can report to their boss. In my area with all this, I don't know, uh, 10,000 people you know, in this area, now I achieved zero case. Wow. Manyang, um, yeah. I was just instructed that we have sound and video problems, and um, oh. we are being asked to take a five minute or so break so that they can restart the system. We oh. can keep talking amongst each other, but yeah. they will uh, restart the system. It'll take five minutes or so, and okay. then we will That's fine. Uh, continue. So I okay. pose the question. 
Shall I pose the question again? So, yes. like in the in this little uh, break, I I was wondering if um, if the, if anyone is challenging this on a legal basis because it seems to be like a um, you know a giant prison that's been installed and uh, it's clear that this is against human rights and I'm sure against the constitution also. So, is there anything of that kind going on? Yeah, for sure. There are people challenging uh, the, the, the man in power, which is Xi Jinping, uh, the party boss, but not challenging him legally. I mean, uh, they are not doing illegal things, but uh, what I mean is not through legal uh, uh, method, because in China is not uh, a, a, a country rule of law. Yeah? The mm -hmm. law is only a tool for the party. Okay, so you have, we have to be aware that we, you know in in Western world we are so used to uh, uh, you know rule of law. Uh, in 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 China, it's ruled by the party. So they also to sh to make a show to the world they have a parliament, they have a government, they have a court. Yeah, but the Communist Party is above everybody else. Okay, so uh, a, a call from a party boss to the judge uh, will make the whole thing decided. Who is going to lose and win? Okay, so nobody challenging them through a legal process impossible because you come nowhere. But <laughs> there are people challenging uh, Xi Jinping and 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 uh, the party leadership. Yeah, and that is Shanghai. Actually, is the headquarter of the opposition of Xi Jinping because the former party boss Jiang Zemin and his people are highly concentrated in Shanghai. It's a kind of, you can say, unofficially uh, uh, headquarter of the opposition. And, and these people, they don't like Xi Jinping. So they, they don't want to carry out uh, loyally his policy. So Xi Jinping was saying, we will be the only country in the first country who managed to make China zero case of COVID. And these people were thinking, you are crazy, you are stupid, you know. But they will they, they will show it. Openly, so openly they still say yes, sure, sure, we will do it. But in reality, they don't care. Okay, so that maybe maybe fifty percent at least of the official uh, are like that. But then you have another fifty percent. These are the people in the past uh, years. Xi Jinping came to power in twenty twelve, right? So and he knew that he knew from the beginning Shanghai is a, a headquarter of his opposition. So he has been finding out. Who is not loyal to me? And then he kicked them out and put a new one in, put a new one in. Yeah. So, so, and that's why you have so much chaos. So you can say you have two type of official: one trying to be very loyal to Xi Jinping because they want to get promoted. They know that the sooner he can report a zero case, yeah, the, the, the bigger chance he will be promoted. And actually, uh, for your information, I think uh, day before yesterday, the twentieth of April. Two of this small area yeah, in, in, Shanghai, in Shanghai declare zero case success. Okay, <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, and not only that, when they start the lockdown in the beginning of uh, uh, April, uh, Xi Jinping sent a very high-ranking uh, person to Shanghai. He's uh, uh, the uh, he's um, a member of the Standing Committee of the Politburo or the Central Committee of the Communist Party. You know, one of the, those seven top men in, in China. So he got the job to 
check Shanghai that he's carrying out his policy. Yeah, and and it it is it is, and he really made sure. You know, he was telling all the local official, you are allowed to do whatever you want to do, just if you make sure that it is zero case. And like many communists, they set a target. So he was saying that your target is the 20th of April, you should reach zero case. And 17th of April, you will reach the, the breaking point. You know, the, the infection always go up like that and then somewhere you, you break yeah, and go down. So, I mean, it's crazy. How can you program uh, the development of infection and, and, and uh, uh, you know, and, and elimination of a virus? setting a date but it was like that so now the problem is xi jinping why he does want to do it two things he wants to show the world the chinese system is superior okay and then he wants to show uh, his opponents and also the chinese people he's very capable he's the first leader in the world who managed to achieve zero case so now he got a big problem because two days ago he was already april 20 and what he but you know, to, to save face. So two of the Shanghai area of many, many, I don't know how many thousands of area, but two of them declare successfully achieved zero case. I mean, this is China, yeah? <laughs> and you know how, how they do it, like I mentioned before, sometimes when they want to show upward that we have achieved zero case, they, they put all the test the positive people in a bus and drive them away from their area. Then they report in my, in my uh, area, zero case. Yeah? That's how it works in China. Wow, that's amazing. Um, I have another question. I mean, obviously, we know that in in uh, European countries, um, it's or everywhere around the world, this um, mass um, formation thing has worked, and everyone is under this uh, this hypnosis, and um, you know, kind of plays along, or not everyone, but like most of the people. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering. I mean, if you look at one of those uh, high rises, I mean, they could all in go down at the same time and overwhelm these, uh, you know, these people that are trying to, to keep them in there and they would have no chance. I mean, it's the same thing what we see everywhere, you know, because we're the many and the people in the high rises are, are the many. And, um, but they seem to be, instead, they just stop singing or screaming from their window. Like why, I mean, do you think it's is that because of the, the social credit system is not so strong in, China, in, in Hong Kong, in Shanghai, or is it the same as everywhere else? It, it's exactly the same everywhere. But, you know, that's why the people selected to make this protest action at night. It was dark and you can see their face. Uh, you may, okay, you may register uh, which apartment, that's probably possible, but it's also difficult because not every apartment who have the light on uh, or have the window open are those who are protesting. Yeah, maybe only 70% of them. So it's not that easy. Yeah? You cannot exactly identify who has been protesting. And, and, and of course, they don't want to do it too long time because when, when the people protest for a long time, then you give more chance to the party, for the agents uh, to find out who were the one doing all these protests. So that's why they make it short. Yeah. Uh, China is really, uh, I mean, George Orwell, uh, 1984, has long, long been already materialized in, in China. But 
actually much better than what George Orwell described in his book, because George Orwell was not living in a digital era. And in China, they, they, because they are, they are the, the best applier of digital technology for controlling everybody. And by the way, I just want to make one parenthesis. Don't think that just because we are living in Europe, we're living in America, then we are not monitored by uh, the Chinese Communist Party. You are wrong, because if you use a Huawei communication system, if you use uh, Alibaba, if you buy things from Alibaba, all your interaction will be registered in computer in China. Uh, if you use a Lenovo computer made in China, uh, made by China, designed by China, you everything you you all information you use going through this computer are all registered in the six huge big data center in China. Huge, huge, huge big data center. Yeah, and so ah, my goodness, this uh, uh, we are living in a, a, a in a way in without wanting it, we are also in the West living partly in a, a in a George Orwell world because of the Chinese communist. Well, um, the, the, my, to me, the most important question is, why is all of this happening? And this is a two-part question, really. Um, I can understand how you describe that um, they, the Communist Party, which is a one-party dictatorship, as you described it, want to show the rest of the world, we are the best at getting everything under control, even a pandemic. Yes. Of course, we know now this is not a pandemic, it's a pandemic. And the second uh, part you said is he personally wants to be respected as the man who really knows best how to do it. However, how does that fit in with the program of the Great Reset, with the World Economic Forum's Great Reset? Is this a part of this? Is he in cahoots with uh, Klaus Schwab and all the others? Or is he playing his own game here? Uh, well, I don't. I don't know exactly. Huh? I only know that uh, they are good friends, uh, Klaus Schwab and, and Xi Jinping. Yeah? Xi Jinping was uh, invited, I think, 2019 to deliver mm -hmm. a speech at, at Davos and so on. Um, I, I think. I think the you know. What should I say? The Chinese Communist Party, including Xi Jinping, of course, is, is really a, a, a party who are ready to go for anything, to go with anyone in alliance, if it is beneficial to them. Okay? So we have to be uh, uh, clear that this party, they claim that they, are, they believe in socialism or communism, Marxism, Leninism, but what they really, really believe in is what you say in, in, in the Western world, uh, the end justifies the means. Oh. Yeah, so mm -hmm. this is exactly, in everything, people ask me, do you think uh, Russia and China will work together? I said, well, <laughs> the end justifies the means. If, if Russia, seen by the Chinese communists, uh, useful for what they want to achieve, they will cooperate, no problem. So the same thing. When you look at Klaus Schwab, uh, when Klaus Schwab idea uh, uh, is in line or is beneficial to what the Communist Party want to achieve. Uh, now, then it's a question, what does the Communist Party want to achieve? They want to be the conqueror of the world. And they have a 
clear strategy since 1949 when the People's Republic of China was founded. And the strategy is latest 2049, China should be the boss of the world. Yeah? Should be, they, they call it uh, China should take their natural position of being, you know, superpower number one. Yeah. And that strategy has never changed. So anything that promotes them to achieve this strategy sooner, they go for it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. So so I don't believe that uh, Xi Jinping and, and, and Klaus Schwab are really a kind of uh, a close alliance uh, uh, based on the same ideology. And, and I don't think so. But as I say, if they see what Klaus Schwab want to achieve is in line with what he wants to achieve, then they cooperate. And tomorrow when he find out what Klaus Schwab is now doing is actually not in line, <laughs> and then they will stop it. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. They have always been like that. What and that's think, why we... What do you yeah. th- what is the, as far as the population is concerned, everyone, of course, is aware of the social credit system. Everyone seems to be aware of um of the goals of the party or maybe not is it is it that the chinese don't understand what this is all about about how they're trying to make um how they're trying to make them or the party it's not the people but the party is trying to make uh, themselves look much more astute and much more capable of handling dif- difficult situations than they really are um, there's lots of infighting, which uh, probably most people don't know anything about. But do is there a chance that the people in China, uh, for example, in the bigger cities like Shanghai, uh, do these people understand that they need to rise up in order to end this dictatorship? Yeah, very good question. Um, first of all, your first question, are the Chinese people aware of the party mm-hmm. Uh, strategic goal. Uh, yes and no. Uh, the party will never tell the people we will be or we want to be superpower number one uh, 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 latest 2049. No, but what they what they what they have been doing is already small children in China. They all learn how the Western power has been uh, hum- humiliating us. They call it hundred years of humiliation before the communists came to power. Yeah? So now since the communists came to power, uh, we are working to make sure that nobody bully us anymore. And uh, actually what, what they are promoting is very dangerous. They are actually doing, uh, as I say, uh, uh, building up hatred mm-hmm. among the people towards Western and also Japanese. Uh, uh, you know, democratic power, you can say. And this is a very dangerous game they're doing because it is, they were even, they are actually, they have been even lying to the people, claiming that, you know, uh, how how the British send opium to China and poison our people. I mean, yeah, it's no good to send, to sell uh, opium to, to Chinese, but he will never, they will never say to the Chinese people that it was Chinese people who want to buy it. 
because uh, the British never forced them to, to, to smoke opium, right? And also, they, don't, they won't tell them that because of trade balance. At that time, you know, the British people bought a lot of things from China and Chinese people bought nothing. So then the, some British businessmen came to this bad idea of selling uh, opium because he found out the Chinese people were looking for new, new enjoyment. Yeah. So, and also, they, they tell people, you know, uh, year 1900, uh, the, 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 the eight uh, Western power joined together as an allied army invaded China, which is true. Yeah? But they never told the people that before that, because of the Chinese emperor, uh, emperor's government, who supported the boxer movement, uh, who, uh, who, who hated foreigners. Because at the dictatorship at that, at that time also want, want to distract people by uh, making new enemy outside China. So all the foreigners are bad. At the end, uh, they kill a lot of missionaries and kill a lot of uh, foreigners. And the last one they killed was actually the German ambassador. Yeah? And then Germany and also other Western power found it, that is too far. We have to do something about it. And that's why they joined together and, 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 uh, and give China a, a revenge. I mean, it, this was no good, but, but, but the way they tell the story to the children in China is just to sow hatred, which, which for me, the only reason is they, want, they need an army where people, where the Chinese soldiers think we are doing a righteous thing, we are doing you know, a, a right cause, yeah? And that's very dangerous. And that's why I used to tell my friends, yeah, you know, the big danger today in our world is the Chinese Communist Party. Yes, we're getting this information pretty much from everyone there are some viewers one in particular who has been living a german who has been living someplace in china i think in beijing but i'm not sure mm -hmm. um, he keeps telling us that there's another side to the chinese story and uh he makes it sound as though it's a there's a benevolent side but everyone else and all the pictures that we're seeing i i mean of course we know that everything is being redacted that we're being flooded with propaganda but uh, there seems to be um, a uniform agreement or a, a uniform approach amongst foreign observers, including you. You're not a foreign observer, but you're looking at it from the outside. There seems yeah. to be an agreement that what they're doing there is a, as you described it, it's a one-party dictatorship. Yeah. And once again, it does seem to make sense to me, once again, just like in all the other countries that are part of the Great Reset and who probably fight amongst each others um, and the party leaders of these countries, they too fight amongst each other. So the situation is probably typical. But once again, um, it looks as though they are not really in control, but rather they're afraid of losing the little bit of control that they have. So I think this is the this that's the most important message to take away from from this. Um, yeah. If people understand what is really going on, that is the end of that dictatorship. Absolutely, you are hundred percent right, and that's why, like uh, our our newspaper Epoch Times uh, mm -hmm. has been uh, trying to do our best to break through the, the Chinese censorship. Yeah, mm -hmm. and we have managed pretty well. Many, many Chinese, uh, 
uh, are using VPN and uh, and get into our online uh, page, yeah, and read it without uh, without the Communist Party found out that who he who he is, yeah. yeah. Uh, so this is it is and also and also uh, Epoch Times published a book called The Nine Commentaries of the Chinese Communist Party. And this book was published in November 2004. And it has been spreading through all sorts of uh, uh, underground channels to China. Yeah, uh, Of course, not doesn't mean that every Chinese are ready, but at least uh, the more the people with a higher education, yeah, uh, many of them uh, who doesn't want to believe everything what the party media say many of them have read it and in and right after the publishing of that book our uh, our publishing company i mean epoch times also set up a website for every chinese to go into the website to declare that i don't agree with this uh, totalitarian party oh. chinese party yeah the part uh, the, 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 the website is called in Chinese Tuidang, T-U-I-D-A-N-G, Tuidang, which means quit the party. So, and we encourage all members of the parties, all members of the communist youth, all members of the uh, communist uh, pioneer, um, which basically almost every Chinese, um, mm -hmm. that they should declare their their quitting from the party or from the from the communists yeah uh, it's a kind of moral quitting it's not a formal quitting you know because in china once you are a member of the of the communist party you are not allowed to quit the party quitting the party will be treated as a, a traitor so mm -hmm. so it's not possible uh, but this is more important you know in my opinion a kind of uh, spiritual or moral uh, declaration of quitting the party and and fantastic is this has going on since 2005 so mm -hmm. it's uh, it's quite many years now it's uh, uh 20 uh no not not 20 yet but they're all getting uh, pretty pretty it's uh, seven, 17 years i think yeah so now we have 390 million people register there quitting the party in our website 390 million so almost 400 million okay so in, i know you have to go because it's a little after four now but one final question yes please it does sound as though the situation in china is not much different from the situation of, in the rest of the world except for one thing the i mean they're all the, the uh, all those countries that are participating in this lockdown great reset approach uh it is their leaders it's not the people it is their leaders who are trying to push through this agenda uh by way of um uh propaganda lying to the people manipulating to the people it is psychological terrorism and the vehicle that they use for this is the mainstream media and you don't have any anything else but the mainstream media they're all party controlled in china uh, at the same time however um it seems to be very obvious that there's so much infighting going on and that this system of this totalitarian system uh, seems to be on the verge of collapsing and if you i mean the, the one big difference in china is that 
the system seems to be even more brutal and even more uh, dehumanized than most of the other systems. And it looks to me as though some of the other countries, including um, the leadership, I'm not saying the Americans, but the leadership in the US are really looking towards China in order to implement the really cruel um, theories that come from China, including the lockdown. I totally agree. But you know, the danger thing is, although we know that there is in-party fighting, but very often when a dictator has an internal problem, the risk of war is bigger, mm -hmm. okay? For example, uh, if Xi Jinping uh, attacked Taiwan, yeah, this may give him some, some, some scores, being a kind of national hero. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. that we are, we, 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 you know, I'm doing something. Yeah, but this is terrible, you know, because of your power game, you, you, you start uh, shooting rockets. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the risk is there. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, not only because of power struggle, also there's a strategy. Taiwan is strategically very important for, for mm -hmm. communist China to come into the Pacific Ocean. Okay, because Taiwan is uh, part of the I islands chain from Japan, Okinawa, Taiwan, Philippines, and so on, to make it difficult for China warship to go into the Pacific. Yeah, and also China uh, hate Taiwan being a very well functioning democracy. Although Chinese people, I mean Taiwan people, are all Chinese, so they cannot cheat the Chinese by saying the Western democracy is not uh, good for us. You know, we have our own democracy because that doesn't work with, uh, with Taiwan. And the third reason they want to take Taiwan is Taiwan has the most advanced semiconductor microchip manufacturer in the world. And they we, know, we know in the meantime that uh, there is a very close collaboration between apparently the Chinese leadership on the one hand and uh, Joe Biden's family. Um, but it seems that, again, it is true that when push comes to shove, this um, very, well, I should say, uh, feeble alliance doesn't play a role anymore. So in other words, if the situation in China gets any worse in terms of the leadership um, getting under pressure because people want real democracy, then Xi Jinping will not have any problems attacking Taiwan, despite the relationship that uh, he has with the Biden family. Is that correct? Uh, probably you're right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, now I know you have to leave. Uh, we are very grateful for uh, your time and uh, for your um, insights that you gave us because I know that most people know nothing about China. I was in China a few years ago because I had to interview a witness uh, for one in, in, uh, yeah, in China. I had to interview a witness in one of my cases uh, and, um, and I got the impression, uh, I was really surprised to see how in the larger cities, I was in the Shenzhen area. In the larger city, everything looks like it could have been Chicago or some other big city. But as soon as you go out into the rural areas, it's a totally different picture. So I think there's a lot of hope out there for those people who are not trapped in these big cities, um, uh, who understand or who, who are probably learning about what's really going on. 
There's too many of them to be controlled by this Chinese Communist Party. You are absolutely right. China has 1.4 billion people. I guess uh, probably uh, 800 million are not rich people. A lot, I mean, are living in welfare. And among these 800 million, probably 200 million are even uh, classified according to the United Nations uh, under the uh, poverty line. That means they make wow. less than $1 per day. Yeah? So that's China. But you don't see it. Uh, you are right. When you only go to Shanghai and, and, and Shenzhen, <laughs> you think uh, they are better than New York. <laughs> yeah. okay. You're right. But yeah, China is big. China is complex. Okay, I know but you I have think to catch I, it. I, I, yeah, I'm optimist because I think Chinese people, uh, you know, gradually will uh, wake up more and more. And yeah, we, maybe have, much, maybe we have to much. help them to get more information, right? Information. And, and I think it's happening much quicker than most people think. Um, the tide is definitely turning. You can see that Absolutely. everywhere. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you. Manyan, I'm very grateful. Thank you very much thank for you, joining us. Yeah. And thank you, Vivian, too. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much. It's really interesting. I mean, wherever you turn, it's even more rotten than you would have thought at first glance, you know? <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Okay. We'll so, be in touch. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, Vivian. So, jetzt wir sprechen wieder Deutsch. Wir haben unseren nächsten Gast hier. Es ist Kluse Krings. Kluse Krings Kluse Krings is an author, ethnologist and journalist. And we would like to speak with him about the situation in Spain, where there were uh, trucker protests and um, after these uh, protests, there was a, a gas shortage. Now I'd like to know what's happening there in concrete terms. Well, hello to everybody. We're only in a virtual circle here today. Before I start talking about this um, topic of the day, I would like to say a few words on the last time that I uh, was with the committee, I think that was the 77th um, meeting back in November, I think, um, and it seems that it has been deleted. Probably somebody said something that was not acceptable. Um, and as I said something that wasn't quite true at the time, I would uh, do the journalistically correct thing and um, say something about this now. I defended the um, thesis at the time, uh, the theory, and I still do, that the so-called uh, corona crisis is not a genuinely health crisis, but something that I would call an opportunistic crisis. So you use any excuse, blow it out of proportion, and then you can do things in the background that aren't uh, being perceived anymore because you have the big crisis in the foreground. And in this case, the major crisis was this virus, which was blown out of proportion here. The question was, what's happening in the background? And if I uh, just uh, recapitulate again, in 2007, Lehman Brothers collapsed. And then after that, uh, basically, the entire banking sector of the Western world 
a uh, currency and debt crisis ensued, and the solution back then in 2007-2008 could have been to have a cut, redirect um, politics, as was done in uh, and after 1929, um, after the banking crisis, and um, making these toxic products illegal. Um, however, in the meantime, all these products have been legalized again, that uh, took us to a crisis, and they took us to crisis again, and that was not supposed to be discussed, and that was why um, the uh, order of the day was, uh, let's continue steady as she goes. And the solution was to pump as much money into the system with the assumption that the money will um, move to the stock exchange and then um, speculations can continue with that. Mario Draghi and his American counterpart were the ones who um, achieved this. Um, and I looked it up again. Between February 2015 and September 2016, Draghi, as head of the European Central Bank, Um, put 1.14 billion euro to market, empty money, not um, backed by any real values. In 2018, so after about 10 years of this kind of policy, the first um, economists came along saying that uh, people, something is brewing up here. This will be another bubble that could burst. And something had to be found to deflate this bubble. And the solution was the same as back in 2007-2008. So we simply have to pump even more money into the system. And when they then got this virus from Wuhan, there was nearly a competition of who could give the highest figures. And these were uh, floated to people. Um, there were uh, expensive PCR tests, thousands, ten thousands, hundred thousands, millions, didn't play a, a role, the a, a rapid tests, no matter how much they cost. Vaccination centers uh, were installed that were uh, pointless because um, the GPs were able to vaccinate people, etc., etc. The lockdowns were very expensive, uh, compensation payments, uh, short time um, labor payments to companies, the assumption being that all the money goes back to the stock exchange and the show can go on. We can see what can come from it. Um, we can see it now. This inflation that we still call inflation, uh, soon enough we will call it hyperinflation, I'd say. Maybe another uh, piece of information on this uh, from Berliner Zeitung, um, the Berlin newspaper uh, from the day before yesterday. Uh, for wholesalers, uh, prices went up by 22%. 22%, so you know what's coming down the line. So uh, getting back to the meeting in uh, November uh, 21, I said that things are going too uh, well for the politicians. Everything goes as smoothly as they could have imagined, and they will want to keep this um, situation going, so a new crisis needs to follow this crisis, because I did not expect at the time that this would be done with COVID anymore. Well, why? 
even the Bill Gates and, Bill and Melinda Gates uh, Foundation wrote about the variant uh, that was emerging at the time that it uh, appears to cause fewer um, disease. And Johns Hopkins uh, said that uh, the number of cases seems to increase, but not the number of deaths. And so it appeared that Corona was done with. We can't go on with this. And I said, well, they will start with um, supply shortages. That will be the next show. Um, supply shortages uh, caused by a um, ship blocking the Suez Canal. That was nonsense. The uh, Suez Canal had been freed for months by a particularly cold winter, we were told. And we were all still swimming in uh, Little Lake, uh, south of Munich at the same time, and there wouldn't be sufficient gas and oil um, quantities, and this would lead to factory shutdowns. All of this was prepared in the press and was not used because they had managed to blow up this virus, which wasn't really um, dangerous, to be a horror virus again. We all saw it. And uh, the World Health Organization uh, helped by calling it Omicron because the Indians had complained at one stage only because they were faster and found a new variant that was called the Indian variant. And they didn't want to have that. They didn't want to be discriminated against because they worked, uh, did good work. They said we would like to use um, letters. Then uh, Delta came along. The next one should have been Epsilon, and maybe we overlooked something. Then it uh, should have been Zeta. That's the sequence of the Greek alphabet. And that, uh, but it, Omicron came along. That's 10 letters away from Delta, and there weren't 10 different um, letters, uh, different variants in between. So they used Omicron because it sounds very th uh, most threatening. And I thought that they would start the next crisis now, i.e. the shortage um, crisis. Um, and they stuck to Omicron. And Mr. Lauterbach, our health minister in Germany, uh, found a new killer variant of this virus uh, the other day as infectious as Omicron and as lethal as Delta. The difficulty being that uh, neither Johns Hopkins nor the World Health Organization or anybody else ever having seen this uh, virus. It's just a figment of the uh, imagination of Mr. Um, Mr. Lauterbach. He wants to purchase vaccinations already. Um, you kind of wonder what kind of uh, vaccination you can't buy vaccines against a uh, virus that doesn't even exist. So um, our health minister wants to continue this uh, health scare. So I thought I have to make this clear. It's um, I was wrong. It's always difficult if you uh, forecast um, the future. You can always be wrong then. So that's what I wanted to um, clarify. So let's move on to the Spaniards now and their uh, trucker strike. 
just just a moment. You're not completely off. There could be a couple of crises being played at the same time. We've got Ukraine in the background. And actually, we do have uh, supply chain bottlenecks in certain areas of the world, at least. Yesterday night, I just took the fun of looking at petrol prices. And there are parts in the world, um, places, Venezuela and others, where you can buy a, a liter of diesel of le for less than a cent. And there are places like in Germany where you pay two euros per liter. So the supply chain bottlenecks um, are, as far, are especially concentrated on the food supplies, and they should only be um, around in autumn. So you're not completely around. Um, they just uh, keep on riding the horse which is dead, and more and more people notice it. And in the meantime, I think they are building up a second panic stage. We've got a, a picture here we'd like to show before you come to Spain. Shanghai um, is apparently um, responsible for 20% of the Chinese exports. And there is a picture of the shiny Shanghai port where you can see the jam of the ships. Um, I think that is artificial. Like all these bottlenecks, um, uh, you see the, the petrol prices do not exist. They are just used to create panic. This is the picture. And here you see a massive amount of uh, vessels here. Uh, so something is not getting in or out in Shanghai. And that may um, in some time um, reflect in the West somewhere. But I think you really have to see this. It's always a two-edged sword. There's a real part to it, but also uh, some part that is being used to fire the panic, as you just said. And that this can be um, increased or decreased at will, um, as um, uh, has been said before. I think I heard it in uh, a narrative of Oval Media that people had to fight for the toilet paper. So what does that uh, say? Uh, that's probably not real, it's true. Um, I don't know, maybe that was manipulated too, but uh, that you're so basically uh, threatened that you have to fight for your uh, loo paper, uh, not for a luxury item, but uh, something very fundamental. That I think was part of the whole narrative and I'm con completely convinced that this is something that can be uh, increased and decreased at will with these shortages and with these uh, real shortages that uh, are deliberately uh, provoked. Maybe you were just ahead of your time uh, back then. Well, you're going to move on to Spain and you'll come back to that, I think. I would have mentioned it anyway. Uh, I think we all three are of the same opinion that the crisis must never stop. There must be a good supply of prices, crisis all the time along. I think that is a general agreement here. But what I said, I said I just took it wrong. They came back with Corona when I thought it was done. Uh, the supply chains 
again to um, argument them that there was a ship in the Suez Canal about a year ago. Um, I think that will be a bit difficult, and there was no cold winter either. So um, they'll have to come up with new stories. But um, that it goes to a lack of supply, I think that is quite possible. Let's move on to Spain. The first thing was, um, as we can all imagine, the attack of Russia on Ukraine and the consequential rise of petrol prices in Spain. That effect was that people queued up in front of the petrol stations and uh, people, uh, this was in the news, people said, we will petrol today, fill up on gas until it's going to be more expensive than tomorrow. Um, uh, nobody discussed this. Everybody got in their car and say, let me get what I can get and uh, take a little reserve. Tomorrow, there'll be, it'll be more expensive. In this situation, and that must have happened in the night of uh, 14th or 13th or uh, 13th or 14th of April, a couple of people met from a small club, a small association of small freight forwarders, family companies really, and their drivers who organized with them, and they decided we'll strike. Well, they'll go on strike because all of this is getting too expensive. With these little margins that we have to move the freight, we can't do it. The prices, and if they increase more, and we could see it increasing day by day on the 14th of March. That was the due date. This small group is going to public uh, make public that the lorry drivers will go on strike. From the 17th on, we got the first news in Spain that the police was used to uh, break the strikes. That's a normal procedure. If you make use of your right to strike, you get into contact with the police. A day later, the respective minister, the minister for transport, um, talks to the TV stations with a lie, and she says these people who do on strike are violent and they are right-wing radicals. And I think this will ring a bell with us. We've heard that story as well. Uh, in Corona times, the uh, munched-up figures that the government told us to, uh, and we calculated and uh, falsified them, uh, everybody who did that was a right-wing extremist. So they are known uh, for being mathematical geniuses, these right-wing extremists. So the second point with the violence was much more um, difficult because that is a criminalization. If I call someone a right-wing extremist, okay, they may have a, um, a political uncorrect opinion. But if I call them they are violent, that takes you to criminal law. And uh, in general, that was all rubbish. In general, I say, and that's journalistic uh, work in Spain, uh, 
There is an institution which we don't have in Germany, which are the Gettys. These are strike posts, and they are known in Spain that they have a hard hand at times. Usually, they are used not to undermine the strike, to prevent undermining of the strike. So that means a company will not be able to uh, keep the uh, striking people away um, by putting pressure on them and getting them back. Um, they won't get into the factory. And uh, the same happens with people who are paid money to come back to the factory and work. That's not going to work because there's these paquetes and they were around during the strike. I saw images from a lorry where a lorry driver said, I have enough, I carry on. You can, and they just um, punctured his tires. There was another picture um, where they uh, smashed the windows of a lorry. And the third uh, case was where they took away the uh, the driving truck and uh, con disconnected from the trailer. And they told the guy to go home with his truck, but without the trailer. So this is normal in every strike. Um, they are hard-handed, and there were a few arrests as well. But in general, we have to say that is absolutely wrong to call them violent. If you count that many of the people who strike are the owners of their own lorries. They strike on themselves. You don't need anybody uh, to prevent you from striking. They do that because they want to. The other point, what the minister says at that point in time, was that they would promise the Spaniards that there are gonna, not going to be uh, bottlenecks in the supplies. Everything will carry on. Just let the government do. And in the next couple of days, the minister um, repeated these uh, lies, and then there was a weekend, and on the 20th, um, that was a Sunday, and on that uh, Sunday, there was 10,000s of farmers who appeared in Madrid because they had the same claims as the lorry drivers had. The diesel prices were too high, and they said, in these conditions, we can't produce food. Uh, if the diesel is so expensive, we don't plant any plants. And uh, to understand this threat, you have to know Spain. The export of agricultural produce is one of the big, big pillars of the Spanish economy. That would cause a great breakdown of all the tomatoes and cabbages and strawberries and fruit, the oranges and whatever you have from Valencia, for example, if that wouldn't be exported anymore. That was a real threat to the exporters, exporting part of the nation. And a day later, on the 21st, um, the fishermen say they won't uh, go out to sea because they have the same problem as the lorry drivers and the farmers have. They 
think the diesel prices are too expensive and say under these conditions we can't do go out and do the fishing and then and now all of this is now growing to become a bottleneck in supplies a little later the taxi drivers join up who would have thought that even the taxi drivers didn't want to drive anymore and then there were rallies that were quite strange, which is something they had not expected, which is normal factory workers put down their work and went on strike for lower electricity prices. And that is not quite understandable for Germany. That's a difference to Spain. In a Spanish household, uh, they use a lot of electricity. Starts with the air condition, which actually you need if you live in a place where you have three, four months per year, um, around 40 degrees. Um, you can't work at that temperature. You can't live without a air condition. They can be operated the other way around. Um, they are used for heating in winter as well. And many heaters that they are, um, all of that is done, uh, operated with electricity. So a normal Spanish home um, provides hot water with electricity. So on average, the Spaniards use a lot of electric energy and that was going to be massively more expensive. So without having to talk of any bottlenecks, the prices explode all of a sudden. I brought a figure along to illustrate this from uh, someone from the unions. I tried to find that report later on, but it's difficult to find. So I can only report this, say it was in the main news. Um, um, where we had this person talking and I heard him say, I can't find this um, um, a report anymore. He said a megawatt hour of uh, electricity is um, produced at 12 euros. It is sold in Spain for 160 and 450 euros. That is the range for a single megawatt of electricity. And you can expect, uh, understand the people to get fed up with that. So, besides the diesel prices to be dro dropped down, the electricity prices were requested to be reduced as well. And everywhere in the country there's rallies. It turns a tsunami. Interesting to see the news uh, were racing in reporting on the strikes, and now the hour came where the government really had to move. The interesting point is, until this point, the president never appeared anywhere. He was just away. They were. He was seen in Morocco, but he wasn't seen in his country. He wasn't available. And now that seems to be a success model. In politics, Helmut Kohl ex uh, invented all of that. Just sit down on it. 16 years, he ruled the country with that. Miss Merkel did another 16 years with uh, sitting on it. Um, Mr. Schulz um, is disappearing all the time as well. Um, I think not that he should 
supply heavy armors to Ukraine. And I also think that Ukraine um, is presented very in a very manipulative way. That has nothing to do with, the, with my pity on the people who are bombed. They have our solidarity, but it's not as black and white as it is presented to us here. Um, so the attack is out of question, and uh, that is a violation of uh, international law, and Mr. Putin should be held responsible. But it's uh, not a, uh, um, a banded state who attacks a a uh, real democracy, but it's a one uh, banded state attacking another one, or criminal state. So, uh, the Spanish Premier Minister ducks away until this point in time, and he sees that he's losing all his politics. And so, he does a um, meeting in his cabinet and declares the the solution solved with 500 million euros. That solves the problem. Everybody go back to work. This small group of striking people from the first minute say, no way. First, we don't believe that 500 million euros will be enough to solve this problem. And second, there is nothing concrete on this. Who gets what? What's that? How is that money going to be shared around? What are you going to do with the money? Who will get it? Who will uh, be helped? None of this is published. It's just the kind of uh, the Americans way, fl fly a kite. Uh, you just uh, see, see if it sticks. And it had no, it didn't. <clears throat> now, as the atmosphere was charged in the country, everybody somehow had to position themselves. And the unions were asked to say what, what side they stand on, the government or the striking people. And although they are very government-friendly, they had to say, we are on the side of the strikers. So that took the unions on board. And then there were two or three associations of the big forwarders. <clears throat> they are called platforms because um, they don't drive with uh, lorries. They just are agents for the freight, for the others. And they also get on that uh, strike range because they say, there's money here. We can get some money. So, we are in the game. And then, if we uh, talk about the right-wing radicalists, uh, they got on the on the stage as well with BP, uh, Parti du Popular, the uh, popular right-wing party uh, in Spain. Um, just to know who they are, in German, they would be uh, the... Um, uh, for the old Franco people, the La Salanja, uh, after the democracy uh, banned its way, uh, still full church uh, against abortion and so on, these uh, values. And they started to smell the dawn of day. And now, if all the country rises, we rise this way, we stand up with the striking people and are against the government as well. So, after the president and the 500 million euros had been announced and nothing happened, um, they had to do more, the president had. And he did it in Brussels, 
for reasons that are complicated to explain and that would go beyond the framework of our uh, meeting here. Theoretically, he could have reduced the diesel and petrol prices on his own behalf, but uh, the call was to reduce the electricity prices as well. And for that, he needed Europe, because the idea in Europe is that uh, electricity is kind of a European matter. I'm always happy if people tell me that we have eco, uh, green power now, say, no, you've got electrons of which go through the wires and where they come through, nobody can show and know. Well, we can say, okay, uh, statistically, um, so and so many customers are registered for green electricity and not for nuclear power, but there are then the um, a, a green power is more expensive than nuclear power. So they can't get as much because it's too expensive. So. This is the statistical tricks, really. But in Europe, um, the case is that it is a unified grid. And uh, you can't just have one coming up with new prices and new things like that uh, has to be decided in Europe. And so Sanchez, the president of Spain, went to Brussels <coughs> uh, to attend a meeting of the chiefs of state, and as he had so much fire um, down his neck from his place home, uh, he was uh, under pressure, and he did something in Brussels, which until then no other um, chief of government had done. He pressured the others and left the room. You have to know that as soon as one um, of the chief of state leaves the room, the others can't take any decision because these decisions have to be taken together. If he's out of the room, the session ends. Of course, he came back in. He just uh, went out for a time, but he made clear where he is ready to go. And uh, so, all of that, uh, it was his act of desperation and uh, told a French journalist that he was uh, uh, made a, a rude comment, so he had to leave the room because of that. Believe it if you want to. He knew what he was doing. And so now there is an island solution for the uh, Spanish peninsula. And uh, they found a formula how they could let him out of this, saying, okay, Spain is not really integrated. They've only got one big grid line through the Pyrenees with only 2.8% of the electricity. Okay, so um, they should do what they want to. And um, it's all uh, in YouTube still. If you look at the rest of the conference, uh, he stands there with the Portuguese uh, president who doesn't know how he gets into this benefit, that he uh, has these special benefits now. And he didn't even say anything about that. That's all what Sanchez did. So he came back home with this triumph, which he celebrated that he now went and can reduce the electricity prices, and he announced concrete measures, 20 cents per liter 
are going to be dropped. The price of the petrol is going to drop by 20 cent, not percent, 20 cent. And uh, the electricity prices are going to drop. And there are direct subsidies for the professional drivers. That means for a big lorry, there is a big uh, uh, subsidy for a smaller uh, truck. Uh, there is a little less for ambulances, for taxis. All of that is now subsidized by the government. Uh, altogether, it's one billion euros, a bit more even. And that is quite a notable success for this uh, small group of uh, people who started this. They really got their way with their request and this means uh, the strike were stops, the fishers, fishermen stopped even before Brussels because they said our minister, it was a different minister, said, um, um, put something on the table. We don't understand it. We don't know what the details are. We'll stop striking on the condition that we can start again any moment should the government not keep their word and we not get what they promised. Uh, so they start to, to leave and little by little everybody else uh, picked up their work again. Um, a big success for people who really did something. We have, I have to ask um, the producers, I've got a little clip from the news in Spain. I wondered what would that look like if we did that in Germany? And I can tell you uh, what I would expect. I would expect that Let's start with the driver, the car drivers that would complain because the motorway is blocked and no way. No, you can do anything in Germany but stop the cars. Um, so they would have complained and the hotel people and the restaurant people would have complained about the fishermen because they would have altogether complained about the truck drivers and the um, mainstream TV would have uh, formally interviewed everybody who had anything to complain about the strike. Spain was different and I'd like to ask uh, to play that little clip. en nuestro país, efectivamente, los derivados de la pandemia, de la guerra, la falta de suministros, la inflación, el desabastecimiento, se une uno más. Usted mismo. Actúe ya, reaccione, tome medidas, porque España está en situación de colapso y usted parece que no se entera. Funeral, for instance, and they do that at a funeral. 
It's just to show that you agree with something, and that's why you applaud at a funeral, and you applaud um, strikers who are passed by and make a, a huge racket with their horns. And uh, this uh, lady in her nightgown that we just saw with the spokesperson of the uh, Populist Party, uh, they had a, a policy uh, to um, have um, quite sexy dressed women um, appear in public uh, so that they um, don't appear like Nazis. And it uh, looks like a major triumph, but it's not such a major triumph if you look closely. What happened? The price of uh, petrol was reduced by 20 cents, by 20 cents. This 20 cents, however, contrary to what the strikers wanted, weren't taken away from the um, mineral oil company's profits. It's a subsidy instead. So from the point of view of the mineral oil companies, nothing happened because for them it doesn't matter whether they overcharge people directly or whether they get the money from the government uh, months later. It still has to be paid by um, the taxpayers, so the strikers will then have to foot the bill via taxation. And then, um, uh, bottom line, the uh, fuel prices didn't come down. They are coming down because markets um, see fuel prices decreasing. And by way of conclusion, the um, Spaniards are always quick to coin a new saying. And I was told the other day, when uh, the fuel prices go up, they shoot up like a rocket. And when they come down, they come down like a um, feather. And we know it. Uh, we see it in the markets. And whether the feather lands, where the rocket started, is another question. So fuel prices will be higher than they were before. And the fact that they're not even more expenses are paid um, via subsidies by the taxpayer. And one very last thing, there is a certain struggle between the big uh, gas stations and the smaller ones. The big ones are attached to the major oil companies. And uh, Mr. Sanchez said that five cents of these 20 should be paid for by the um, petrol stations. So now the prices that are called up are uh, fantasy prices. Um, they are not guided by the spot prices, so they just take as much as they can charge. And if they have to uh, contribute five cents, um, then the major oil companies will say, okay, we're generous and we'll give seven cents. And then their price decreased a bit more than uh, the small petrol stations who always struggle to survive, who um, have been overcharged with five cents already, and they can't keep it up now. So now we have a market distortion on top by which the bigger uh, petrol stations can make fuel available at a lower price, slightly lower price than the small petrol stations. So that's what I have to say on the strike. Up until three weeks, I was in Spain, um, so that was just after the strike, and I never saw any um, bottlenecks, shortages there. 
if they ever occurred, uh, they only occurred when I had left already. I have never uh, seen anything, heard anything about uh, shortages. Incredible. So all of that really uh, gets the money from the taxpayer if that is all subsidized, right? Well, it certainly wasn't the mineral oil companies that footed the bill. And the people don't know this, do they? Oh, it's so difficult, so difficult. It's so easy to confuse people. Uh, they go to the petrol station and they say, I've been saying all the time, why not in the first place? Okay, the petrol isn't quite as cheap as it used to be. But it's always the way with subsidies. We always have to know that it's the taxpayer who pays. At the end of the day, it's always the taxpayer, but most people don't realize that. Well, that shows that one has to be extremely vigilant uh, and by no means one must accept uh, or can accept uh, small victories like um, the one we have now with the banning of these um, mandatory vaccinations, but the WHO is ready to impose anything that goes in the same direction with some other trick. Um, whatever passport or whatever they may think up of. That is quite clear. And uh, these are little um, straw successes, so to say, that can help us to take a step forward. But we can't by no means be satisfied with that um, because there's such, such a lot of other things. Well, if I may comment on that again, uh, I know Karl Marx has uh, really fallen out of fashion, but there is something to learn from him, some fundamental things. And the Marxists distinguish between union action and political action. Those are two entirely different things, and we have to understand this, and then we'll uh, understand this as well with these... Um, different uh, um, successes. Union action usually starts with people being directly affected, existentially threatened, at least sufficiently existentially for them to um, want to do something against it. And this can be kept up as long as the original um, burden is sustains or continues. As soon as the problem is solved or seems to have been solved, the whole thing collapses because the problem itself is off the table. And the Marxists say what you need then is political leadership behind it all, i.e. someone who can understand that this is only an interim victory, not um, it's only a, a battle won, not the war that has been won. And uh, somebody who understands what would be the real victory and that you really have to go beyond this interim victory, making more demands. But if you don't have anyone anymore, and that's what I see left, right and center, we don't have anyone who could take on political leadership of this sort of thing. Then you will stop at the interim victories. And after that, nothing happens anymore because someone who says okay uh, now 
I risked something and um, I'm, I've been successful, so that's fine. They won't see that it has to be carried on and you need some political leadership behind this. And that's what I can't see anywhere in the Western world. Let's take an example that uh, doesn't really uh, suit here at all. In the US, for instance, there was very uh, the, um, strong uh, reactions against uh, lockdowns, mask mandates, vaccination mandates, etc. in some individual states. But nobody asked any further questions beyond this. So one, once that was over, or you found a, a federal judge, like, I don't know whether it's been lifted already, but um, you don't have to wear masks on federal planes anymore because a federal judge found that this is um, something that the health authorities should never have imposed. And so the mask mandate has been uh, overcome and then people are happy, but they never ask themselves, what's the structure behind it all? So what do we really fight for or against? It's not only a question about mask mandates, what's really behind it? And without that, well, this is not asked if you don't have political leadership. We need enlightenment for that, and we'll provide that. You do Epoch Times and others, and this is what will be the real success in the end. I completely agree that in Spain, when the pressure is extremely high, they celebrate the success of the diesel prices to drop, and if the electricity prices drop, but actually, yes, the real problem is the rule of the corporates, and that is not viewed, not seen. That's not anonymous, but the people who use the corporates to help themselves, so to say, and uh, live out their fantasies. But that is what we'll have to keep up working on. I think it's getting more and more visible for a larger and larger part of the general population that this is the real problem. Well, if I may um, comment the uh, corporate rule again. Spain is in a way different f uh, from other countries, we have to say because they emerged from fascism so late. They had four decades of fascism in that country. And they had a smooth transition to democracy, but not a, a, a complete one, really. And the Social Democrat Party, which uh, ruled for the longest period uh, during this uh, democracy who call themselves socialists um, that's a bit of a um, an exaggeration they're really uh, social democrats they really uh, made an agreement uh, with the um, corporates with all elections the question is who pays for the election campaign and the corporates do it. And so they're really dependent on um, major capital. But they sell it to other social democrats and to people as some kind of leftist policy. And it's impossible for people to see behind this that somebody who can 
who um, fulfills all the wishes of major capital can't do leftist policies. And now we have an alliance in um, Spain of, we would call them communists, but the left party with the social democrats. And then we have the regionalist parties, Catalonia, for instance, or um, those representing the Basque country. And they have very weird agendas. They're uh, neither left nor right. Um, they're, they're nationalists for a smaller um ethnic groups, and they have got together defining their project as a leftist project. So then anybody who's against this must be right-wing, right? And if we transmit this or, or look at Germany, we saw the same thing. All these um, COVID measures, the SPD was on board, and the uh, left party, the Green Party was on board. Uh, and you got a bit surprised that the um, liberals didn't want to participate uh, fully. But basically, any opposition against this was an opposition against all parties, if you exclude the right-wing radicals. Um, uh, the AFD, but if they um, have to defend our uh, citizens' rights, well, then um, the situation is really dire. So um, we had the situation that we had a dictatorship and um, that was called leftist policies. And that's not only since Corona. We've been having this for a long time. Gerd Schröder was called the uh, friends of the bosses. It's the same policy, Tony Blair. Same policy, by the way, also uh, with the preference of uh, financial capital over the actual uh, manufacturing capital. That is something that uh, took hold in sometime in the 80s. Yes. That's a central issue. We have looked at this a couple of times, that the so-called financial industry, as it's called, is which is a euphemism. It doesn't produce anything. It only destroys. It's few pure speculations. We know that since um, at the latest uh, the Lehman crisis, which you've described, um, which turned into the euro crisis and the global crisis. So this financial capital is absolutely unproductive. It is. Um, these are really. Um, feeding on the dead. And uh, it's been described in uh, um, films like Wall Street from Oliver Stone, that this financial industry, which is rather called the financial mafia, which lives on exploiting others um, with uh, companies, and I'm not talking about global companies, but taking them apart, um, uh, because you can make more money with them. Um, so, this um, financial mafia and the forgetting of the producing um, employers, employers who are responsible for their own people, that has to be reverted. But I think we are just uh, um, virtually seeing in real time the collapse of the system. Oh, well, maybe we can uh, conclude on um, the following two points. At this juncture, I don't see any political force capable 
of harnessing this uh, collapse that you're mentioning here, there's no one there. I hear nothing from the left. I can't hear how they see um, the future. They left the theory discussion 50 years ago. They still uh, keep regurgitating um, the nonsense of uh, the yesteryear. They're not um, up to date. Uh, the SPD never was. I can't see it. What we need is a party that really takes this problem to heart, considering how this collapse that must come, as I am convinced as well, how we can control this, because there's nobody. And if this collapse happens without control and without um, anyone reining it in, then um, God have mercy on us. Uh, we may or may not be lucky. That is what we could get. But it would. No, but I don't see that we have any control here or guidance. And the second thing that I uh, observed under uh, during four years of Trump, I believe that uh, we never understood Trump uh, in Germany at all. I'm not a Trump uh, fanatic um, or supporter. Um, so don't misunderstand me, but I don't think we ever understood him. In Germany, we like to use parameters such as left and right. He's left or right. In U.S. Uh, presidential, uh, presidential uh, elections, there's always two right-wing candidates. There's never been really a left-wing candidate ever. So it's not a dichotomy between left and right between uh, Clinton and Donald Trump, for instance. It is, however, the opposition between those who have the financial markets at heart via globalization and those who still uh, favor production, manufacturing. And there's a weird alliance, and I describe it in my book uh, to an extent, there's a weird alliance here between the factory owners and their um, employees. Because if you have to shut down the factory, the workers don't benefit. And you uh, don't benefit from uh, workers turning against you to the point where you have to shut down. And so the blue-collar uh, workers were um, supportive of Trump, largely, because he seemed to um, prefer the productive sector over the financial sector. So there are two different concepts of capitalism uh, pitched against each other. And so we're a bit helpless when we look at these Trump years. Uh, he was a weird character and nobody really liked him, but we didn't really understand to this day where the a big support for Trump came from, and I think that is uh, to an extent explained by the fact that he was on the side of uh, production rather than of, of manufacturing rather than of financial capital. Well, he wanted to clean the stable, and he referred to Washington and New York, not only the political stable in New York and uh, Washington, but also the financial capitalism in New York uh, reduced to a financial mafia. Anyway, Kluze, I think, well, Viviana, take over. I just wanted to say um, 
Clues. Let's get together uh, on the future concepts, really. Uh, we're really interested in this in our uh, capacity as uh, board members and uh, secretary general of a political party. It would be interesting. <clears throat> if I have a concept, I'll hand it in in Oslo for the um, Nobel Prize. But I know the questions. So yes, let's um, stick our heads together. Um, it was great to have you. And thanks for explaining the situation in uh, Spain uh, to us a bit. It was really important. Thank you. Right, bye then. So we stick around in uh, Spain. We'll revert to English. It's okay to speak in German. Uh, you can ask the question. I'll translate them into Spanish and then I'll retranslate back what Christina says. Okay, because we have uh, the lawyer Christina Armas with us. Uh, she's the co-founder of the organization Liberum. And she made the news several times because she won a few law cases in Spain. Particularly recently, a uh, law a case um, for a height crime against the well-known journalist Federico Jimenez Los Santos. He's a presenter at the Spanish radio station Is Radio, and he apparently stated that people who are not vaccinated against COVID are rats and cockroaches that should be killed and exterminated. Well, the question, how did this uh, process, this um, court case pan out? What's the state of uh, the situation now? She, she didn't only file this complaint, but another one as well against that TV presenter. And we'll see how far it went and what the outcome was.
perdona Cristina, la conexión está um, ¿Sí? bastante mala te he escuchado solo con interrupciones y no puedo hacer una, una frase um, entera. Um, ¿sería, ¿Estás trabajando desde el móvil o desde un, uh, un portátil? No me uh, uh, Hay muchísimas interrupciones. Hay manera que, uh, que tal vez salgas y entras otra vez uh, o usas el ordenador con cabello. Jens, maybe she can leave and uh, come back in. Cristina, Viviane sugiere que salgas de esta sesión y que vuelvas otra vez. Esto a lo mejor ayuda. Uh, she is completely gone. Uh, Corbin had advised me already that the quality isn't um, ideal and had asked her to move back into the house and uh, take position next to the router, which she has done. And she is um, sending a message to me apologizing for the situation. Well, that's the problem with uh, live transmissions, no problem. She just told me that the satellite connection from her house is not great um, due to the weather. She's going over to um, her office uh, where she has a fiberglass connection 10 minutes uh, from now, she'll be back with us. Uh, maybe we can talk about something else. Uh, I wanted to say something. Um, I do translate once in a while, um, not simultaneously, but uh, step by step. And I actually have to praise your simultaneous translation uh, translators. After an hour, I um, really can't focus at all anymore. They keep going for five hours, uh, taking turns. So hat off. It's a great job that they do. We, uh, You can't really appreciate it when you don't know how much brain capacity it takes to translate. Well, they, uh, there are two gentlemen and one lady who take turns, but the time that they uh, translate. Sometimes uh, it's a little bit uh, easier, but the time um, that is lost, you have to uh, translate back and forth from uh, German to English and English to uh, German. We notice um, by simply having uh, to follow the conversation, asking the right questions, but if they have to translate that, it requires a lot more concentration and energy uh, still. Well, uh, the colleague we just spoke to is a lawyer, right? And um, she uh, established a party. No, it's a, um, a movement, right? Organization. Liberum is not a party, is it? No, um, it is uh, not a political party. It's 
something that we have in uh, Germany. Um, they're an organization um, in private law, under private law, uh, who have, however, a lot of lawyers supporting them and who file numerous uh, lawsuits and they uh, achieve a lot more successes than um, has been the case in Germany so far, particularly in administrative courts. I uh, took down three different court cases in preparation for this uh, meeting today. And she, uh, for instance, she took a look at one thing. Um, I don't know if it's um, um, administrative or civil course, the suspension of an employment contract and suspension of uh, a payment of uh, compensation because unvaccinated staff members refuse to undergo uh, two PCR tests per week. We can only dream of that in Germany. She actually prevailed there. Then she managed to uh, support a, a parent who didn't want their son to be vaccinated, uh, uh, to um, win over the other parent who wanted the vaccination. And the uh, 3G pass, the green pass or the COVID pass as it's uh, called here, um, was uh, canceled on the Canaries. So Spain uh, is divided up into different regions and she works on the Canaries and um, she, on the Canary Islands and she has uh, been quite successful on uh, in court cases there. Now, what's your perception of the situation in Spain, similar to China, where a large part of the population doesn't realize what's really happening and only focuses on the external um, situation? Or is there a share of the population in Spain, as Klose um, Krinsch uh, said, who look at the background? Overall, uh, my impression is, and I uh, just heard Kluse, uh, and I agree with him, uh, with him. Uh, Franco uh, ended in the mid 70s, and it was the um, it was due to the former king that democracy was installed here. They never dealt with uh, their past. Many older people. Um, nearly hanker after the Franco days because things were more ordered and um, straightforward back then. And my personal impression is that many Spaniards don't really question what's coming from the uh, government. They like to abuse the government, but at the end of the day, they uh, rarely question the uh, government. If the government says wear masks, even outdoors, even if it's 40 degrees and on the Canary Islands, it was mandatory even on the uh, beach for a while. That was really extreme. And if you uh, move from one uh, group to the next on the beach, you were asked to wear a mask uh, in transit. And um, then many people just go along with it uh, without um, opposing it. So I'd say 
people like to look after their private problems. They don't look at the neighbor's um, uh, interests. So in uh, Spain, uh, you'll see a few people being criticized for not wearing a mask. Um, if you have to go to a shop uh, where it's required um, and uh, people uh, then say um, with a smile maybe uh, that they have a uh, certificate, a uh, medical certificate that they don't need to wear a mask and then people will be apologetic usually and say, sorry, I didn't want to um, interfere with you. That's a very nice thing. But at the same time in Spain, um, um, that backfires because people don't like to get involved in other people's affairs. And this is a strong uh, distinction between Spain and Italy. Uh, if we look down, we always think, okay, uh, in the West we have Spain, uh, in the center we have Italy, two Mediterranean countries that should be all the same. But my experience is that they are very different from each other. And that is why social pressure in Spain to go along with the measures is much lower than in Italy. In Italy there's much more social pressure which is at least as large there as it is in Germany and in Spain Everybody only looks after their own things and as somebody critical of measures, you can live uh, very well without being encountering scenes like we have them in Germany in the meantime. And the police, do they also stick to this, not interfering with um, other people's affairs? Well, I can give you my own experience, the police. We had a mask mandate, uh, even outdoors, for a long uh, period of time. The police just looked the other way. One of the biggest uh, demonstrations um, organized by Sonia and uh, Rafael on Majorca with 4,000 uh, participants, where there was a requirement to wear a mask and the organizers said it, of course, so that they couldn't um, be um, blamed. And then maybe five out of 4,000 put on a mask and the police simply did their job. They looked at um, organizing traffic, making sure that the demonstration could uh, go along the streets of the city center and otherwise looked the other way. And they were also uh, praised for it. And that's uh, something that is uh, rare elsewhere that people um, praised the police for their uh, conciliatory approach. So it seems to be a better place to live um, than Germany these days. But it seems to be uh, the reality uh, of China and that we have in Germany and in most countries, people only see the surface. They can only see if um, there's a supply chain bottleneck somewhere, if there is a mask mandate somewhere um, that goes too far and people want to get rid of it. But it seems, uh, it appears like globally and including Spain, the understanding 
and the desire for more understanding of what's all this about, um, if it's all nonsense, because it can't be about health, then the question of what is it about, um, we are agreed that it's about control, complete control, and this is a question that few people ask, is it? Unfortunately, that's true. I realize, um, I notice that people realize instinctively that it's not about health because whenever there's a publication somewhere, if you look at Facebook, you see the smileys or um, uh, laughing emojis, so people laugh about this, but I don't see a deeper understanding uh, of the problems and uh, machinations happening in the background. They are um, still shocked by the first lockdown, uh, three-month lockdown from the beginning, and um, uh, they are afraid of a repeat, and um, before they uh, run into a new lockdown, I think people are interested in making sure, uh, well, uh, complying to avoid another lockdown. Yeah, I think people have been well educated. But uh, education, um, the German word is that seeing it comes from seeing from pulling. So I'm convinced that if um, there's a mask mandate tomorrow, people will put the mask back up on. So uh, since uh, the last weekend, um, the mandate was lifted on the um, on the islands, and uh, what I think is bad, uh, really bad, is that you can see a lot of young people and children going around with masks who never really had any um, major share in um, infections. And who go around uh, with masks after two years of being conditioned to do so, even though it's not necessary anymore. I think that's quite worrisome because they are really our future and now i can see that christina is uh, dialing in from her office where she has a reliable connection schön dass ich dabei sein darf ich freue mich it's a really good and nice thing that we can see you and hear you me too me too Let's continue. Um, okay, okay Christina. Antes, uh, ich, Viviane, ich greife nochmal deine Fragen kurz auf. Ja? Yeah. Uh, antes, Viviane, ha mencionado uh, la denuncia penal contra... I'll ask again in Spanish. buscados? <coughs> La de Federico Jiménez Los Santos, que es el periodista radiofónico, está ahora mismo eh, pendiente de que se confirme que, que tiene que ir a juicio. Es decir, la juez de instrucción ya ha dicho que había indicios de delito de odio contra los no vacunados, ha abierto procedimiento abreviado contra él, pero él ha recurrido la decisión a la Audiencia Provincial de Madrid. Entonces, estamos pendientes de que se confirme realmente que tiene que ir a juicio. She's saying that um, the uh, radio reporter, Frederico, the judge said there is an indication 
of uh, hate speech here, and she opened the proceedings. Federico appealed against this, and now the next uh, level court in Madrid has to allow the judge to open the proceedings. Que es el, el otro presentador de, de televisión, también denunciado por delito de odio contra los no vacunados, que ya le han tomado declaración en el juzgado y estamos pendientes de que la juez decida si realmente hay delito o no hay delito y se le abra también procedimiento abreviado. Had seen the judge and uh, gave their declaration, and now she has to decide whether that is a criminal proceeding on hate speech. And um, Iviana, if you may allow, we could ask her on the three cases that I had mentioned before whether she could just briefly uh, brief us on that. <coughs> Well, I'd like to ask another question. Um, there are um, measures organized by the states uh, against activists. We had um, Jimmy in uh, France who was uh, arrested. We had judges in Germany. Um, and we've seen again and again that um, hate crimes or um, insults are invoked. Is that something that you can see in Spain as well? Because you're on the other side, really, um, working against um, um, the media here. Can she see that activists are also um, taken on like this? Or um, are there uh, other measures that are being um, used there? En Holanda, por ejemplo, hemos visto que el activista Willem eh, lo han denunciado, lo han puesto en la cárcel um, y por, um, por um, haber dicho algo um, que inicie el odio entre las personas. Um, han, um, en Francia han ido, el Estado de Francia ha ido contra nuestra colega Virginie, um, también con pretextos uh, um, muy, muy... Uh, Dudables. Uh, la pregunta de Viviane es si también en España el Estado español o las regiones um, usen um, um, esto de um, iniciar al odio o um, calumnia o algunas otros, algunos otros pretextos para ir en contra de activistas. Uh, ¿Podemos ver esto también en España o el Estado español se porta mejor que Francia o Holanda? Yo creo que en España nos tienen miedo, realmente. <risa> a los abogados de Liberum ahora mismo nos tienen miedo. Sinceramente lo creo, ¿eh? No, yo, por ejemplo, no he recibido ningún tipo de amenaza del colegio de abogados, ningún tipo de comentario, ningún tipo de, de, de actitud eh, de, para persuadirme respecto a lo que hago. Incluso he celebrado manifestaciones en la misma puerta del Colegio de Abogados de Las Palmas de Gran Canaria y no he recibido el, la más mínima insinuación en, de ningún sentido. Y el resto de abogados tampoco. No. Aquí en España no, no, no hay nada de eso. No, no, no.
Ja, a lo mejor es un merecido tuyo. Ahora voy a traducirlo. Um, also, das Schöne so, ist, the good thing is she can repeat, repeat, uh, report from Spain that these cases are not taking place. <clears throat> she says she does assume that the state or the other side even is afraid of um, the lawyers they will be confronted with that in that case because she didn't get a single complaint so far, no bad letters also from her bar. She didn't receive any indications or anything. They even um, <clears throat> protested in the Canary Islands, on the Canary Islands, directly in the front of the, uh, the building of the Bar of Lawyers. Um, and nothing happened. So this is a very positive situation. Is that a larger group now? What kind of, uh, how many uh, lawyers are being organized in these organizations? Can you say that? And does that uh, include some uh, public prosecutors who are in the resistance here? Eh, creo que Liberum cuenta ahora con 40 abogados en plantilla, 40 abogados contratados eh, con la asociación y fuera de la asociación, de la asociación no sé cuántos abogados puede haber en España, pero es verdad que cada vez hay más abogados que se, que se están posicionando y que están llevando todo este tipo de juicios, ¿no? ya sea de vacunación de niños o contra las mascarillas o por el tema del certificado COVID, cada vez hay más abogados, sí. Mm -hmm. um, Cristina is saying that uh, there is 40 employees, is not the right word, but there is about 40 lawyers that they can rely on <clears throat> that will file these complaints. Liberum is the uh, known term in Spain for this. And also outside of Liberum, there's lots of lawyers, but she can't say how many are involved, but she knows that there's many, many lawyers outside of Liberum as well um, <clears throat> who take care of filings of uh, people who get uh, um, uh, get actions against them due to trespassing of uh, mandatory masks and um, <clears throat> uh, passports and so on and uh, these things and there's lots of lawyers who help these people <clears throat> Oficialmente, públicamente, eh, no. Bueno, la única fiscal es la fiscal de, de Lérida, eh, Valerie Orjasun. Es la única que públicamente se ha mostrado en contra de, 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 de la pandemia. La única. Y jueces y fiscales, es verdad que no, no lo han dicho públicamente, pero sí estamos encontrando algún apoyo en los procedimientos judiciales. Por ejemplo, en las denuncias de delito de odio, hay un fiscal en Gran Canaria que se ha posicionado a nuestro favor. Públicamente no lo dice, pero sí es verdad que, que, que en el procedimiento está apoyando nuestra causa. 
She says that officially no judge has positioned themselves. There is one uh, prosecutor in law, um, Valeria, I know her as well, who is positioning himself, herself publicly against the government measures with uh, lots of articles published. But she sees that the prosecutor who uh, is involved with the the prosecutor who is involved with the hate crime um, <clears throat> a complaint also supports that complaints and moves that complaint forward. I have another direct question to Christina. Is it uh, true that the majority of people are more interested in uh, the measures of being excessive, uh, unfair or dangerous, or are there uh, increasing numbers of people who ask themselves what's behind it if it's not health? Estas medidas acaban, uh, que a lo mejor están, uh, no, no están justos, que están peligrosos, uh, que uh, limitan demasiado nuestros derechos. O también los españoles uh, que, um, que se preguntan qué hay detrás de todo esto, que quieren investigar más a profundo uh, los auténticos motivos uh, de esta um, pandemia. Eh, yo creo que cada vez hay más personas que han despertado en todos los niveles, han despertado respecto a la pandemia, pero también han despertado a nivel político. ¡Ay, mierda! ¿Hola? Te, te oigo, sí, sí. Te ah, oigo. vale. Eh, que han despertado en todos los sentidos, que ya saben que hay una élite detrás de todo esto, saben que esa élite es la que ha organizado la pandemia, saben que esa élite quiere implantar una agenda que es la Agenda 2030, saben que quieren eliminar el dinero en efectivo, saben que quieren hacer un gran reseteo económico, social y financiero. No, todavía somos pocos, pero hay muchísimas personas que ya son, que ya son conscientes de toda esa información. Who, on different levels, seem to be waking up. It starts with uh, people seeing through the pandemic as a pandemic, um, and there's people who are becoming politically vigilant and who start to note there is an elite that wants to control everybody else, that there is an Agenda 2030, that this elite uh, wants to get hold of the money and uh, wants to do a reset. <clears throat> and she's saying it's few still, but she sees more and more people becoming aware of this. I think in Germany we can 
assume that no more, no more than 20% of the population asks this bigger question, what is this really about? Control, abolition of money, total control over people, 20%. I don't think it's more than that. Beyond that, there is a large number of people who aren't happy with the measures, but who accept the pandemic as such. Would you estimate that the percentage is similar in Spain, 20% uh, as opposed to a large majority of people who are at best interested in knowing whether the measures are proportionate? Well, you seem to have understood. Um, she can't answer that question. Maybe 20% as well. Maybe she's in the Canaries. Maybe um, there is a better awareness than in other regions where there's probably less than 20%. I would say so from my own perception. Well, I think um, there's a, a criminal uh, lawsuit against the Spanish uh, President, World Health Organization and other international organizations that was uh, handed in to The Hague, the International um, um, Criminal Court. Um, this is not only about the measures, but against the people who planned these measures. Is that my uh, is that understanding correct? La denuncia eh, se archivó con carácter provisional en agosto del 2021 y nos requerían para que, que aportáramos nuevos hechos y nuevas pruebas. El problema es que yo he estado tan desbordada con los procedimientos de vacunación que no he podido ponerme a trabajar sobre esa denuncia, pero lo quiero hacer este verano. Este verano quiero dedicarme solamente a aportar nuevos hechos y nuevas pruebas para que reactiven la denuncia que ahora mismo hay en la Haya por delitos de genocidio y lesa humanidad. 
Um, also, says that um, there has been a complaint against uh, for, of genocide um, that was temporarily suspended last August with a request to present more evidence. Uh, but last year, Christina was involved in fighting the vaccine mandates that she didn't have time to uh, follow up on this complaint but she says this summer she will more or less exclusively take care of that in order to reactivate it and follow up on it in my point of view that's key I don't have a good in, uh, view of uh, the ICC, the International Criminal Court, but I do believe that the measure itself to file a lawsuit there against the planners of those measures for genocide sends a clear signal. It's a, a vehicle for inf uh, to transport the information which I believe most people don't have access to, i.e. the core information that it is a pandemic of people who deliberately set things in motion here to exert complete control of others without shying away from murder in the process. Y aunque Reina no tenga una opinión muy, muy, um, muy buena de la Corte de Haya, uh, dice que um, esta denuncia, este juicio, uh, es súper importante porque da um, una clara señal um, a los causantes uh, da una, y también transporta uh, la información, uh, el mensaje que se puede ir contra los causantes de, o la gente que da detrás de esto, que se puede ir contra ellos. Entonces, es una, um, independientemente del éxito, uh, es una manera de, um, de llevar el mensaje uh, uh -huh. fuera um, en el mundo. Esa era la idea. Esa fue mi intención, por eso lo hice. No, no por el éxito que yo iba a obtener, porque yo era consciente de que el Tribunal de la Haya está políticamente controlado por la misma élite, mi, mi objetivo principal cuando yo decidí hacer la denuncia era el mensaje, que el mensaje se difundiera y llegara a muchísimas personas. Y al final es lo, lo que conseguí, que mucha gente despertara gracias a la denuncia. Um, she says that, yes, indeed, uh, the outcome and the success is not uh, so much of importance here. She completely agrees with you, Rainer. It's important to spread the word and uh, bring out the message. And uh, many people have woken up due to that complaint. She's well aware that the ICC is controlled by that same elite who is behind all this. But... <clears throat> It was important to bring out the message, and that is why she filed that complaint. 
Yes, excellent. Uh, I also believe that we need to see that in these large organizations as well, in the NGOs controlled by the same people as the global corporations, that there are good people there. Not at the head, but further down, that there are good people who still try to maintain the rule of law. And this is why um, it makes sense, even for this reason, to submit such a um, um, lawsuit to the ICC in order to contact uh, the people who are part of these organizations, but sometimes have already noticed that these organizations are corrupt, uh, to get contact to such people. Does she have contacts to such good employees, for instance, of the ICC or other global NGOs? Well, she couldn't discover these uh, contacts in that way. Well, I believe it's important to establish such contacts. We don't have those contacts, really, but we do have contacts to two former uh, WHO staff members or um, consultants, uh, Dr. Sylvia Behrens and uh, Dr. Fugenberger, and they tell us that inside this organization there are good people as well, so we can't condemn them all. And this is why I believe it's even the more important to do what Christina does, because she automatically reaches out to the good people within um, the organization, within the ICC. And I also believe that it is the more important to keep trying to go into direct dialogue, enter into direct dialogue with these people. That is the only way we can change things from inside out. Otherwise, and we have to do that in parallel, I believe, we need to establish our own system, and we are already doing this. Um, um, uh, Astrid y Silvia, um, que ahora están um, dando mucha información al Comité de Corona, um, a, a 
Um, y también, uh, igual como tú hoy, uh, ya han aparecido aquí. Entonces, según Rainer, es muy, muy importante buscar uh, continuamente el contacto con, um, con estas personas para um, cambiar el sistema desde por dentro. Um, claro que paralelamente o al mismo tiempo vamos a crear nuestras uh, estructuras paralelas de, para sobrevivir, pero también es importante de cambiar el sistema por, por dentro. Sí, sí, totalmente de acuerdo. Ese es nuestro objetivo también, lo que pasa que a lo mejor para él es más fácil por ser evidentemente un abogado conocido a nivel europeo, entonces es más fácil tener ese tipo de contactos con personas relacionadas con la EMA, con la Organización Mundial de la Salud o con instituciones europeas. Para nosotros, desde España, es más complicado llegar a esos niveles de contacto. Es muy más difícil. Well, you seem to have understood. She's 100% on your side and uh, <coughs> And she didn't get into contact with these kind of people. It's uh, that you got hold of these people. It depends on uh, you're well known. And uh, <clears throat> that means that people like these approach you here in Spain. She can't take that same claim. The more... <clears throat> Um, beautiful, uh, even though I was critical initially, um, the, the more um, happy I am with these efforts at the ICC because it gives us the opportunity uh, to look beyond the corona measures indicating or showing that it's about control. And I think that this really is what uh, she wants to achieve with the ICC. She wants to show For Spain, for instance, um, it's important to understand that this that the, uh, control uh, element behind the crisis is decisive. For Spain, we can see Spain um, economically depends uh, very strongly on uh, the export of agricultural produce. And for Spain, just like with India, we can see that there are massive attempts to exert control over the agricultural industry. Monsanto is a point in case where attempts are made uh, to undermine the creativity of local um, uh, production. Um, exerting control over agriculture via Monsanto, Bayer now. Um, a, los, um, a la gente que, um, que está detrás de, de todo esto. Y um, le interesa sobre todo también a España, um, porque España, um, parecido con India, es un, es un país que vive mucho de um, la agricultura y sobre todo del export de productos de agrícolas. Um, y ahí, por ahí, tenemos un jugador um, 
que se llama Monsanto o Bayer, um, y este jugador quiere tener siempre más uh, control uh, sobre um, los productos uh, de agricultura. Um, y tu denuncia igual ayuda a desmantelar la gente detrás de la pandemia, que son la misma gente que quieren controlar uh, la agricultura. Ya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cristina, is that from your point of view the actual question that we need to ask? Understanding the crisis which is staged and see what's going on behind the scenes, this pathologic attempt to take control is that what people have to see that the people start to fight back también consideras importante de ver a través de esta plane pandemia falsa que esta falsa de pandemia para ver para ver exactamente lo que hay detrás de esto lo que mueve el mundo al final yo creo que ha sido clave yo creo que en unos años dentro de no sé si cinco diez años o veinte años miraremos para atrás y daremos gracias a la élite por haber organizado la pandemia porque la pandemia es lo que está provocando el despertar de la humanidad yo era una persona despierta respecto a muchos temas hace, desde hace 10, 15 años. Yo nunca me he vacunado de, de nada porque tuve una reacción alérgica desde pequeña y siempre he sido una persona curiosa, siempre he investigado. Eh, ya había investigado mucho sobre los Rockefeller, los Rothschild, la industria farmacéutica, pero que es verdad que la pandemia me ha ayudado a despertar sobre otros aspectos que yo jamás hubiera descubierto. Y lo que me ha pasado a mí le está pasando a muchísimas personas en el mundo. Muchísimas, muchísimas. Entonces, al final, a ellos la pandemia les ha salido mal porque realmente, sobre todo el confinamiento estricto de 2020, fue lo que ayudó al despertar de muchísimas personas. Cristina saying that the pandemic actually is a key to understand and become aware of the things that went on in the background. She's saying that if we look back in five or ten years, we are going to thank the so-called elite to stage all this for us because that allowed us to awaken. Christina had been very critical before the crisis, she had been doing a lot of research on the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, and the elites of this world. And as she has a vaccination allergy, she has been um, not been vaccinated for many, many years. And she... <clears throat> Uh, she said that this pandemic, the corona pandemic, COVID pandemic, 
is a key to awakening for her because she went even deeper in her research than he had before and she found out more than she had found out before and she um, noted that many many other people started to research on these things and questions questions questioned these things that were a matter of fact before great that's the one big positive aspect that we always can agree on that this madness around us is opening um, the eyes to so many people at least to the point where they ask further questions and that brings all the truth to light it will bring uh, more things to light very uh, ugly things i'm uh, sure but they do come to light and that's important because no matter how brutal the truth you need to know about it. Otherwise, if you don't know it, you can't respond appropriately. That is why what Christina did is great. We can only applaud. Y um, vamos a ver uh, cosas uh, más graves, más feas todavía, uh, pero es importante ver las cosas como son o ver la verdad y no tener miedo um, y cerrar los ojos a la, la verdad. Entonces, um, um, está muy agradecido, nosotros todos estamos muy agradecidos uh, contigo por llevar esta denuncia en, de Haya. En Haya y, Yo de mi parte deseo que tengas mucho tiempo este verano para completarlo. <laughs> Muchas gracias. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. Okay. We'll have to continue observing this. And I really do believe that the most important thing is the connection between all of us uh, worldwide. This connection is becoming ever closer and this means that the information is passed on ever faster from one to the other and this is why we will reach the tipping points ever faster i thought it would come sooner but i do think we're um on a, on the right track even though many things have been brewed up there but what you've done, Christina, and what our colleague, well, not our colleague, our friend uh, Leslie Minuchin with the mask mandates has achieved in the US are major steps, even though there is um, a pushback. But these major steps show to people that um, it can um, be different and people don't want to go back uh, beyond uh, this anymore. And uh, the same thing goes for the U.S. Even though this decision just has been appealed, they don't want to go back to mask mandates in the U.S. It's the vast majority uh, of people, contrary to what the mainstream media claim. Eh, nos, eh, nos conocemos, eh, nos reunimos más, eh, que la, eh, eh, compartimos eh, muy rápidamente la información, eh, o sea que la información entre nosotros eh, esté circulando mucho más rápido y eh, Raina cree que nos estamos acercando al punto decisivo 
que um, él habría esperado ya antes, um, pero al final ha tardado, um, ha tardado más. Um, pero él ve que la gente no, no, no quiere volver. Eh, por ejemplo, una colega nuestra en, en Estados Unidos, Leslie, no es exactamente colega, pero es activista, um, ella um, ha llegado a una sentencia um, que prohíbe um, el mandato de llevar mascarilla y um, la gente lo nota y lo considera y lo aprecia. Y aunque este, um, este ju juicio uh, ahora se, se lleva por la segunda instancia, Uh, la gente lo reconoce y lo aprecia y está agradecido um, y no quieren volver atrás. Y sí, en, en ese sentido pienso igual, la, la pandemia también ha servido para unirnos lo, los abogados y los ciudadanos, no solo a nivel español, sino la oportunidad que nos ha dado de conocer a otros abogados de otros países, otras asociaciones, estar en contacto, compartir información, reunirnos. Y yo creo que esa debería ser la línea también hacia el futuro, ¿no? Para, para si realmente queremos cambiar el sistema, demoler el sistema y demoler la sociedad tal cual lo, la conocemos y crear un mundo nuevo y un mundo mejor, pues yo creo que, que tenemos que también hacer un esfuerzo para, para mantener este tipo de contacto y, y, y cada vez que sea mayor, intentar unirnos todos los grupos ahora mismo que haya en los distintos países, intentar que haya una unión mucho más fuerte. Todavía yo noto que ha habido, hemos tenido reuniones, pero te reúnes algún día, pero después ya no te reúnes más, el grupo portugués no, no, no he sabido nada más de ellos. Entonces yo creo que, que tenemos que intentar mantener esa unión a nivel internacional. So Christina shares your view completely. She says that um, it's good to see that uh, we connect on an international level as well. And she also says that if we want to change the system and create a better world, we will have to foster these contacts and uh, keep them up and extend them and she noticed that often we have a couple of zoom meetings and then uh, someone is not there the meeting is uh, dropped unfortunately it's not that constant yet but it's important to keep in regular contact and in close contact as possible We will um, contact Leslie Manukin, uh, who's behind the uh, the movement, um, and we'll be able to hear her next week. Uh, she can give us all the detail. But I uh, do believe we're all um, on the same uh, level here, and we're working in the same direction. So it's re I really think it's great, Christina, what you do there. Muchas gracias. Um, you're a heroine. Thank you. Sie auch. Wir tun unser Bestes. Muchas gracias. Dankeschön. Mm -hmm. Thank you.
Danke. Yeah, and in this sense, we're now um, turning to another important uh, connection, uh, which is uh, um, the, the India connection. And we have with us um, uh, Johan Tengra, and he's part of the um, Awaken India movement. It's an organization that's um, doing a lot of uh, good activism in, in India. And um, uh, we know that there's also a lot of legal movement going on. I just uh, recently spoke to uh, Deepali Oja, and um, there's, uh, they handed in additional uh, cases like to the courts. And um, so there seems to be a lot of, lot of things going on. So Johan, I'm happy that you're here with us. So can you give us um, maybe like to begin like a, a brief update of what's going on in India at the moment? It seems to be that it's like uh, like not the same in every uh, every um, part of India. Hey Vivian, hi Rosli. Uh, great to meet you today and uh, great to connect with Raina today on the call as well. Been following Raina for a very long time and uh, respect everything you've done Raina till now. So thank you so much for what are you doing. Uh, other than that. I mean, uh, just a quick update. Uh, I think you all know that uh, we did win the case that we'd filed against uh, vaccine and mask mandates. Uh, that case was filed uh, nearly in September. It was filed in the Bombay High Court. Uh, actually, it was a blessing for, for me and a friend of mine to meet uh, Nelesa and the parliament because we, we have been running Awaken India movement and I personally have been researching a lot of these subjects in the last seven years. But uh, we were just working on public outreach as well as increasing the like mass consciousness in India towards these issues surrounding the new world order. But we could not really put it into any kind of legal action until we met these two people. Uh, so once we met them, we really got a lot of cases filed. We spent a lot of time convincing Nilesa and the parliament about these issues. And uh, finally, we filed cases. I think in September, we filed a case against uh, vaccine mandates in the Bombay High Court. We also worked with two, two other groups of lawyers, uh, Prashant Bhushan and Colin Gonzalez, and filed some cases in the Supreme Court uh, sometime around May last year. Uh, that matter is still pending in the Supreme Court, actually. It's reserved for judgment, so the judgment uh, should be out sometime soon. Uh, but as far as the cases that we filed with Indian Bar Association, that is uh, the Parliament and Nilesa, uh, we got really good uh, success in that in the Bombay High Court uh, sometime, I think, just two, 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 two and a half weeks back or something. Uh, where the state uh, actually took back the mask mandates and the vaccine mandates as well. Uh, so the mask and vaccine fines are all out now. And uh, at least in our state in Maharashtra, they have not been fining. And it's had a ripple effect in some other states. So some other states like uh, Delhi, as well as, uh, you know, one, two other places actually took back their uh, mask and vaccine fines and mandates just as an automatic ripple effect. And the Disaster Management Act also got withdrawn uh, by the Indian government. So a lot of the legal clauses they were using were coming from that act. So because of that act being withdrawn now that, uh, you know, it's more difficult for them to actually fine and do cases on people because that act was providing a lot of the sections that the cops were using to actually, you know, do cases against people violating the corona measures. So I think that's been one of our biggest victories that we got the Disaster Management Act removed directly as a, you know, result of our case being filed. But uh, now that, you know, it's it's been taken back. Uh, the, the states are actually starting to ramp up some of the fear propaganda again. And the Delhi government, which took back the mask signs, have, have brought it back. Also, uh, you know, they've taken back the Disaster Management Act for now. It's still legislation, but they've actually just uh, stopped applying the Disaster Management Act and said that it's not a disaster anymore since the cases are very low. But we know that the cases can come back anytime if they, if they choose to manipulate it that way. 
which i do think that uh, you know it it's something that could happen soon so to counter that we've actually filed a case against uh, asymptomatic testing as well as uh, you know like uh, for, like fraudulent use of the rt pcr and rapid antigen test in the bombay high court uh, we filed these cases around you can say i think 3 3 or 4 months back but the cases have still not come in circulation so we're going to put my effort into making them come into circulation now like we also put effort for our previous cases when they were not coming and getting listed in the courts we actually mobilized our networks and sent around i think 6 to 7000 emails to the bombay high court and supreme court after which they started listing the matters very frequently because of the public pressure we also conducted some protests around the court cases so that gave it some more additional fire because uh, the judges actually you know care a lot about public perception out here at least so i think uh, now the next phase of this is that the government is planning to introduce some legislation in the monsoon session which is some in, in a couple of months from now uh, when they want to table a new bill in parliament which actually has a clause for uh, mandatory vaccination it actually has a clause wherein uh, state officials and other authorities can actually go to people's houses uh if they deem fit they can forcefully test people and if they deem fit then they can forcefully vaccinate or, or use any kind of treatment on these people as well so that bill is currently uh, you know something that's concerning a lot of activists in our circle right now it's been a draft bill since 2017 but they're planning to table it in parliament in a couple of months so we def- we're definitely going to be doing a lot of work to you know on the awareness front like you know i personally run a youtube channel some of uh, you know we have some other channels as well and content creators in a network Uh, so we've been kind of coordinating since a long time to really get people mobilized and start acting locally and stuff through awaken india movement uh, so we're going to be doing a lot of work around that as far as legal challenges to that go we can't really do anything right now since it's a draft bill but uh, nilesh and dipali ma'am have told us that as soon as it's passed then like you know we have stuff ready the petition will be ready to file and the public pressure will need to go forward with that other than that we are also kind of uh, going to be doing more work now to expose the who pandemic treaty and we are going to be working more on mass awareness as well as uh, outreach campaigns and really mobilizing people on the streets local activism things like that uh, so that's that's where we currently are actually i think we are we our state government is having a meeting next week to see if they want to bring the mask fines back so indeed if they are got back then our case is still ongoing like our case has not been dismissed yet because we actually asked for the mask fines to be returned in our case and also asked for prosecution against the officials who issued these orders these illegal orders so the case is still pending in court so in case it's brought back then in the next hearing uh, which is sometime in june i think uh, the next date has been given to us uh, we will take this matter up again and pursue it and you know get the mandates removed again but yeah that's that's just a quick update from what was going on out here thanks hana you mute Yeah, sorry. I think the case about the returning of the fines for violations of the mass mandates is extremely important because this is the first step in the right direction. I mean, all the other steps were also steps in the right direction, but this points already to damages. It's of course it's just the return of what was unlawfully taken from them, but one just one little step further and you're right there. damages and this is what this is all about all of these major corporations the people behind these corporations who are behind this they will have to pay for this and have to pay so dearly that in some cases these corporations will be uh taken apart more or less i think this is a very very important signal and i think 
um, from talking to um, Deepali many times, um, I think it's easier to push this message in a country like India, where people already are suspicious of, you know, crooks like Bill Gates, of Monsanto and others. It is easier to push this message in your country, uh, much easier than in a country like Germany, where people are so complacent that they don't, that they have no understanding of the uh, of the actual uh, backdrop of this. Uh, is this a correct assessment? I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because um, when this whole thing started, and when they had the social distancing, the mass mandates, etc. I think was it outside of Bombay? Uh, I mean Mumbai, or was it outside of uh, some other large town uh, where uh, hundreds of thousands of people had uh, decided to have rallies against Monsanto? Uh, is that correct? Uh, I'll just I'll just like uh, address some of the things you said earlier about the awareness out here and why why it's easier according to you. Uh, I don't really think that, uh, you know, fits from where I'm sitting because I've been kind of involved in this research and, uh, you know, running sort of making content and kind of spread it out to Indian people since the last six, seven years. And I think you guys have it much better in Western countries because the awareness towards these issues is a lot more there. In fact, I would go so far as to say that uh, we really lack the numbers on the streets out here because, uh, I mean, when I look at protests happening in Germany or UK, uh, you guys have a lot of support from ordinary people in the in the thousands and lakhs even. But out here, it's like the biggest protest that we have been able to hold out here has been, I think, around 1,500 or 2,000 people in my city in Mumbai, uh, which is where we have the largest kind of, uh, you know, resistance against the new world order. So actually, what's been compensating for the, you can say, lack of people on the streets has been the, the legal strength that we have through mm -hmm. Nilesa and the Bali ma'am. I would definitely say that. Also, we've been struggling to get in the media as well, but these cases have helped us to bring these issues into the mass consciousness. I think the perception that you all have about India uh, with respect to Gates and uh, the litigation that he's been involved in going back to the HPV trials, as well as the negative perception surrounding Monsanto, you know, I think it's it's really listed like a very tiny, tiny fraction of thinking Indian people who have been exposed to the fact that BT Cotton as, as well as, uh, you know, Monsanto has been behind a lot of uh, the cancer train in Punjab. There's one state in India called Punjab, where there's actually like a cancer train that, that's run because of all the pesticides that have been used due to BT Cotton being used over there. So it's just very tiny pockets of people who are, you can say, like more thinking, which is a very, very tiny fraction of the Indian population that actually knows about uh, the issues that happen surrounding the HPV vaccines as well as, uh, you know, these kind of issues. And uh, the, the larger public, you know, mostly, most people in India, I would say, uneducated or come from rural backgrounds and live in interior cities. So they really don't know much about these issues. And a large percentage of the people living in the urban areas are actually listening to CNN or, you know, watching, you can say, uh, hardcore propaganda from, from Western main, mainstream media that way. So it's really a tiny fraction of the population that does know. So I would say that we actually a little bit worse place than y'all in terms of public awareness and mass mobilization. About the protests that you mentioned, Rainer, against uh, like uh, Monsanto, I'm, I'm not really sure that if that happened like when the lockdown was declared. But we've mm -hmm. definitely had protests against uh, Monsanto in general by the farmers. So I think if you're talking about the farmers' protests, and yes, like 
it wasn't really against, just against Monsanto. The farmers' protest that we had running through last year was actually against the three bills that the central government was introducing, which would make it much easier for large multinational corporations to really monopolize the food supply, as well as uh, you know make make the you can say farming more dependent on mega corporations and the players behind the great reset compared to you can say small localized farmers. Like it was a move to centralize the food supply. Uh, through those bills so that's that's what the protests were mainly about but yes again in in the la- large part of the protest you can see there were pockets of resistance against monsanto and like pe- farmers who wanted to push organic farming and things like that yes that's a fair assessment i would like to know a little bit more about the collateral damage that all these measures caused because like as we had uh, you know talked about like in a, in a different meeting like in in germany a lot of the collateral damage was compensated by like some sort of uh, subsidies from the government like uh, you know like if you had to close your hotel you'd get like a certain amount of money and some of these restaurants and hotel owners made more money from these uh, subsidies or or like compensations than they made b- before in their regular business Uh, without having to work and but in india i'm sure there was no compensation and um so the collateral damage must have taken hold in in quite a quite a big part of the economy and also i heard that um, there were a lot of people because they um, when it closed down the public transportation that had to walk for a very long time and also some some of the people just did not survive this uh, this uh, efforts And uh, yeah, could you maybe elaborate on that? Yes, you're accurate in saying that we don't have a welfare system or any kind of, you can say, uh, payouts that were done when the lockdowns were invoked. Although the two acts that were used to like invoke the measures, like the Epidemic Diseases Act of 1897 and the Disaster Management Act of 2005, both of these acts actually had provisions to give uh, compensation in the event that there's any kind of pandemic and the government is taking any measures to mitigate the spread like whatever damages were caused by the state they are bound to pay that back under both of these acts and that's why uh, nilesa and the parliament actually uh, drafted like uh, you know notices for us for lockdown compensation as well as vaccine compensation and we've been mobilizing a network to get a lot of these filed but no we have not received uh, any kind of compensation the only compensation that some people have received have been for covid deaths so that is some that's a matter that went on in the supreme court and the supreme court ordered the central government to actually issue uh, some kind of compensation very basic like just uh, 50000 rupees so that's that's not even you can say like less than 1000 dollars you know maybe like 700 800 dollars or something to people uh, who have died you can say after testing positive on the pcr uh, for covid that way that's the only thing the compensations have been paid for and the collateral kind of knock on effect has been huge because uh, India is largely an informal economy. If you see like 70 to 80% of, uh, you know, like the way in which people earn their living out here is primarily like very, very small businesses as well as uh, people who really go the extra mile to deliver, you know, localized services. So, you know, street vendors as well as people who sell vegetables and food from the streets and very small shops and things like that. And all these were honestly decimated. In fact, I give you a like interesting example. Actually, our prime minister had duped people earlier on television when they, they were invoking the lockdowns. Uh, you know, by saying that uh, you will get loan waivers from the banks and the banks will actually uh, let go of some of your interest, uh, maybe, and there will be subsidies uh, as far as the electricity bills are concerned and things like that. 
but uh, not, like none of this was done you know like it was just empty hopes and false promises given by the authorities and when it actually came to collecting money then everyone came to collect the money on time uh, so because of these kind of issues i would say that like a large large uh, percentage of the population was actually pushed deeper into poverty we have a lot of lot of statistics surrounding that that uh, you know people who are actually doing you can say low middle class were actually pushed into poverty because of all these measures that are taken in place and uh, you were right about saying that uh, you know the people who actually walked in the first lockdown when they had just announced lockdown very suddenly and had not prepared people for it in any way uh, i personally remember during the first lockdown like when it was just in work we were out on the streets uh, you know going and distributing food packets to laborers who'd really been trapped in construction sites because the construction owners just refused to like take any responsibility for them and they were just left there you know and uh, they didn't have, they didn't have any work and basically most of them wanted to go back to the village because they felt that it was much more secure to be like just go back home that way so a lot of them did walk home barefoot and huge distances i mean uh, you know india is a vast vast country and it's it's a huge place that way so a lot of people who come to work here in mumbai or in delhi or in the metros uh, you know because they have access to good jobs and a nice pay and stuff they actually had to go back walking home and sadly many people who did go back uh, walking on foot actually died because of uh, hunger and thirst and basic things like that so that's that's very accurate as well but yes and overall a lot of people are pushed into poverty it decimated a lot of small and medium sized businesses and the people who benefited were really the the online retailers and the amazons and the ambani's and big business houses yeah does it is it um well i we have come through this through our interviews uh we have come to the conclusion that this has this never really had anything to do with health uh it was always about control it's about the great reset and it's about a few power hungry super rich psychopaths using hundreds of thousands of people who they bribe or put under pressure to push this agenda through but um i think even for people who don't have um as much information as maybe we have it should be very obvious that it's not the global corporations that suffer these corporations including and and foremost um of course amazon are making truckloads of money but it is only the small and medium sized businesses that are either being destroyed or suffer badly here in germany for example it's mostly the hotel industry and um and restaurants uh, but others as well um i to me it is obvious that there's a plan behind this uh and to me it is obvious that the plan is to make us dependent on these large global corporations and to destroy the small and medium sized businesses because they have independence they give their employees independence um is this something that um people in india are beginning to understand yes actually i would say that the understanding of the great reset and the new world order is very very nascent uh, in fact uh, i would you know go so far as to say that the understanding is just picked up in the last year or two maybe so if i can just comment on the general population like the ordinary people you know the common man out here not the educated idiots in the buildings who watch cnn and you know the indian equivalents out here all day long and get with their daily dose of programming 
and uh, you know even the people who read newspapers and stuff they're constantly getting this barrage of uh, propaganda you know it's which is very high level propaganda you, you can say because it's targeted towards uh, people who are sophisticated in english and understand things uh, you know the language very well but the common people have always had a like a hunch since the beginning like you know i i remember like uh, and it's been all our experience like in our network as well that when we spoken to cab drivers and when we spoken to just the ordinary man on the street or the the shopkeeper some they they all suss that you know it's some kind of scam but because there's no kind of you can say alternative media out here present as such people really haven't been able to put their finger on it and a lot of people even though they felt that maybe it was impacting their business negatively maybe it was still justified because of uh, you know some kind of health reason like although everyone would tell you that yeah they've suffered and it's been a bad thing but there's a, there's been this kind of subtle justification uh, which varies like if you go and ask your educated people in the cities they are totally brain almost totally brainwashed by the propaganda if you go and ask your normal people you know they are maybe like okay uh, we didn't we wouldn't die of covid but they would kill us of hunger like that's a common trope that i i heard uh, you know when the lockdowns were going on the first time and the second time so people did says that but uh, you know i think to to resist something like this which is so huge and in india the landscape is such that almost all political parties are on board you know like typically when issues like this come up and uh, you know there, there's any kind of resistance that sort most most people ordinary people look to political alternatives that they are political parties that you know someone will oppose it and then people will get behind that person but since that never happened you know all all the major party that's in power right now bjp as well as congress and other parties everyone was on board with the whole narrative you know masking testing vaccination lockdowns Uh, not even one political party that's known actually had the courage or even i i doubt they even understood the matter to oppose it so that way people didn't have any direction as such but now because of you can say like i personally have put in a lot of work into figuring out the global picture and i i personally have done a lot of work in exposing uh, how the indian billionaires and the politic political parties actually uh, you know connect with the rockefellers and the gates foundation and in fact done even a detailed report on this and had interviewed james corbett uh, on the same about how the indian public health system is really captured by the globalists so i think a lot of this information you know i mean it's like me and uh, maybe two three indian outlets that have really done the work of tracing back like how how this whole agenda you know really goes back to the globalists and have named the indian players that are behind it and we are we are trying to get this message out but because of the censorship it's it's very very hard to get to uh, indian people so i wouldn't really say that the understanding of the great reset and the new world order is widespread is there in our networks like awaken india movement my network and you know a couple of other content creators like we are working to get this out more and more our audiences have definitely increased a lot so it's it's paradise compared to what it was like 2 years back uh, but we still have a long way to go so although most i would say overall like most indians understand that you know something was wrong with what happened uh, very few are actually able to put their finger on you know exactly what it is or or where it's going that way but it's also that um uh, a lot of people just bought a, a vaccination passport so the vaccination rate is the real vaccination rate is yes. actually not so high what do you think uh, how high is that really and who who are the ones who are who got vaccinated and who decided to go a, a different way it's a huge number you know like there's been some official investigation into this as well in fact just in our state uh there were there were people who were caught uh, making fake certificates and the police figured out that this whole network actually ran through like five six different states in india 
so if you go to tabulate and that's actually something that nilesh brought up in court as well like i i personally have attended all the court hearings along with uh, sir ma'am and a couple of us so we you know we witnessed everything that went down in court so nilesh actually brought brought this up in court in front of the chief justice where the chief justice you know of the bombay high court was like uh, who are you really representing the majority has taken the vaccination so how is this a public interest litigation and uh, you know nilesh was like no this is really like concerning a large number of people because according to this you know scam that's been busted by the cops and according to some official investigations the number of people who've not really taken the vaccine but were forced to get a certificate to actually get by uh, you know is is huge like uh, in the number runs in crores you know so you can crores is like one followed by seven zeros so you can you know tabulate like uh, what kind of basically like a very very large percentage i would even go so far as saying like maybe 15 to 20% like uh, that could be maybe like on the lower side but i would say like maybe 15 to 20% of the indian population has actually got uh, fake certificates because it's been our experience while talking to people on the streets as well like almost every time some of our network people go to do like a public outreach kind of thing and if they interacting with maybe say 30 40 people you almost always find at least one person who's known someone who's had someone die from the vaccines uh so it's like the the issue is there and uh, you know a lot of vaccine hesitancy was generated in the beginning when people started seeing adverse events uh, around them so it's been very easy in india to get these certificates it doesn't cost that much also i would say in terms of like dollars it would probably you know cost maybe like 20 dollars or so to get one to get one dose the you know and that's that's not too expensive really. so a lot of people have already been going for fakes so and uh, you know i mean a lot of people actually got compelled as well like people were not really taking these vaccines uh, until the state started issuing mandates so before that it was like the, the uptake was very low and then they started bringing all these kind of mandates and state regulations and that if you want to go use the local trains or if you want to go to office or if you want to go use the bus you have to show your vaccine certificate so that's when a lot of people started to get forced into taking it even i, I know this personally like even when people have not taken certificates like personally through a contact or something a lot of people have just tried going to hospitals and uh, you know they just register in the beginning and then they automatically get the certificate on their phone and once once that's done even without getting the vaccination they just leave also some other interesting thing that i could mention is that a lot of times the state government to fulfill their targets actually send people vaccination certificates on their own without these people even registering to get the vaccine you know so just 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 so that they could show that they were meeting the targets the state government was kind of uh, enrolling people on their own and then issuing certificates without them these people even wanting to go and get the vaccine like they were just getting messages and certificates on their own so yeah i mean this is india a lot of this kind of stuff happens out here all the time i mean that but that's also a big chance that it's not so i mean it seems yeah. to be a little bit chaotic in some areas but like it's yeah. also a it's good, easy it's uh, easy to get by it's easy to get by there's always a way to, to yeah 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 so i think that it's much safer to uh, to be in a country where there's um, at the moment where there's maybe a little bit of like direct corruption going on or like di direct yeah, so we have, we have a culture of corruption like corruption is embedded in india so that's kind of working in our favor because corrupt corruption is a bad thing corruption is a bad thing when the laws are just but when the laws are unjust then like corruption actually becomes a good thing because they're helping you to get around bad laws you know so that's how i see it 
yeah, very interesting. And like, what about your sort of um, religious or spiritual leaders? I mean, has there been any resistance from any kind of, of group that that's, uh, because you have a lot of religions in your country. So who's who's opponent, an opponent to what's going on? This is actually, I think, one of the most saddest parts of, of the entire, uh, you know, issue because we have huge, uh, I'll just give you one pertinent example, you know, so India largely like people out here worship cows, okay, like a large section of the Hindu, which is the majority population out here, uh, treats cows like God, like they call it, they call them Gaumata, which means like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, mother cow. That way. So, I mean, cows are usually worshipped a lot in Hindu culture and religion. And despite that, you know, I mean, a lot of groups have actually campaigned in the past uh, against uh, cow slaughter and, uh, you know, even politically, like they managed to get beef banned in many states in India, like a couple of years back that way. And despite that context, you know, you would think that, okay, in this kind of background where there's so much public opposition against cow slaughter and all of that, like the first thing people would do when the vaccine would come out is oppose the vaccines because we do know like the vaccines as an ingredient have fetal bovine serum in them that, that's been used to, you know, grow the cell lines. And despite that, I mean, it's been our experience and also like some of the people in our network who are, you can say like they belong to Hindu religion, but they're more open-minded, like they're not very fanatical or fundamentalist about it. Uh, they were actually trying to get in touch with these, uh, you know, uh, cow vigilante groups who actually stand for cow protection and stuff. And, you know, they would maybe do like a meeting or two with us and then just run away and not, not see us ever again. You know, so it, it's been very hypocritical from religious groups personally, like we've spoken to leaders of, uh, you can say, the the, Mus the Muslims as well as the Jain community. The Jain community is even more hardcore than the Hindus because, you know, they don't even believe in killing ants and stuff. Like they just believe in literally like doing the least amount of violence possible, even not, not even to ants and insects that way. So, you know, when we told them about this stuff, it's like some of the people in these groups, you know, were aware. But uh, I think they kind of were so scared, like a lot of them, I would say, were so scared that, uh, you know, they thought that, okay, this is an exceptional circumstance. And when so many people are dying around, and if some animal is used to, like, save people, then it's fine. Like, that was the attitude that was there. So I would, I would say that uh, from religious groups, like, there's, there's been no opposition, absolutely. I think a large part of it is because uh, maybe if, if our group was bigger and more people knew about us, maybe like we've been trying to network with, uh, you know, many kind of influential people and religious groups and stuff now and, you know, since, since, since quite some time. And we've, we've been getting some success, like at least, uh, you know, you can say not publicly, but privately, people are confiding to us and telling us that they support us or maybe uh, sharing some funds with us. So, you know, not, not so publicly, but at least people are starting to join us now. But at that time, I would say that the awareness itself was so abysmal that people really didn't know about it. And the people who did know about it did not really have the courage to do anything about it publicly that way. So, yeah, the religious opposition has been like uh, almost, you know, negligible. As far as the spiritual groups are concerned, uh, one or two spiritual leaders, like there's one guy called Shishi Ravi Shankar. Then there's another guy called Baba Ramdev. So Baba Ramdev has this TV channel where he got uh, one of the doctors in a network. Uh, so he actually got him on the TV channel and the doctor was talking all about the new world order, the vaccines and like how the vaccines are killing people and everything. So it's it's got some coverage, I would say, from, from some spiritual gurus, but even they're not like out front, uh, uh, up and open, like against the vaccine. Like they're just 
kind of giving a platform once in a while to people who are skeptical of vaccines yeah that that's that's my assessment of the situation Mm-hmm. And how many, what's the, um, do you have any like figures on how many people really died of, of COVID and has there been ever done any investigation like if if it was really the cause of, of death or? So I think I was telling you about this again today when we met, but in India, the narrative is really like twisted uh, on the other side. So, you know, what we were saying since the beginning, like what our group and, uh, you know, people like us were saying, is that the deaths are being exaggerated because, you know, just based on a PCR positive, like they're labeling people with COVID. And, uh, you know, that, that of course was true. Like the guidelines from our health authorities were structured in such a way that even PC people who did not test positive on the PCR, but they had symptoms, you know, even they were uh, kind of, the doctors were told that even they should be put, uh, have COVID on the death certificate. And because some doctors were not doing that, like a large number of doctors in the country were actually just sticking to PCR positives and not really going for the suspected COVID. The media ran this huge narrative. I mean, it was very, very popular. It even came out of like one of the judges' mouths uh, in, in an order for another case, like the deaths uh, for COVID are being underreported. So that was the narrative that was going on. Like we, ha- we were running a narrative that the deaths are being overreported, but uh, largely the mainstream media, which is like what most people subscribe to out here, especially during the second wave last year, like the second wave was quite, I would say it was worse than the first wave. And I would say that it was real, like it, it wasn't, uh, you know, staged or something like that. Like in the second wave, in our own network, we knew like, uh, like personally, I knew two people in my own circle who called me personally asking if I knew anyone that would get me access to an ICU bed, like that would get them access. And, you know, I couldn't help them out with anything. And sad, like I know like one of those people died as well because they couldn't get access to a hospital bed. So that time there was definitely like something going on that cause can be you know discussed and you know i personally do do believe that like this was a novel virus and stuff so i i do believe that there was some level of uh, you know impact of that going on there were other factors and a lot of other things going on as well which made the situation much worse which had to do with gross mismanagement and you know other kind of issues but during the second wave like the media was running this narrative that a lot of deaths were being underreported and they were saying that because the suspected deaths are not being put on the list is why the COVID deaths are actually much higher than they show on the television. So what the mainstream media was arguing for is that even suspected deaths, like those who test negative on the PCR, but let's say they have like a CT scan which shows up uh, as having some lung abnormalities or other kind of tests like uh, maybe neutrophil lymphocyte ratio in the blood or something, like then they should actually be put as a COVID death. Yeah, so that that was the narrative. But the deaths, uh, definitely the, in my analysis, like uh, the deaths were definitely overreported. Because there's, a, I would say, there's a way to like, uh, you know, test that would actually reflect the real count uh, much better. But the PCR tests were really being used in a totally unscientific way. Like I, I had even written a paper about this uh, last year, exactly as to analyzing the first wave and the second wave, and how most of the deaths that happened, most of the cases actually that happened in our country were asymptomatic. Like we got data out of the government that combined first wave and second wave total caseload that existed in our country, I think at least 95% of that was totally asymptomatic. You know, so they really blew the thing up out of proportion. These are official government numbers, you know, we got a, like right information at uh, query out of them. Yeah. Hmm. Well, if you, you know, to hearkening back to what we spoke about earlier about the awareness of the general population, 
I, uh, from my own personal experience, you know, my wife and I spent three weeks at an Indian, uh, at, a, at, a, at an Ayurveda retreat in, uh, yes. in uh, Kerala. And, yeah. you know, everyone, everyone, the, uh, everyone who worked at that place were wearing masks. But when I spoke to the employees, the non-medical personnel, they all knew this made no sense, but they're doing it because it's mandated, because they have to do it, but they didn't believe in it. And they actually knew about, I mean, they didn't have any detailed information, but they knew about there's something wrong and there's something to do with Bill Gates and others as well. Um, when I spoke to the doctors, the medical personnel, I think they, they knew even more. And after a while, after after we kind of got to know each other, some of them actually admitted that they had their own doubts, but they wouldn't talk about this when anyone else was around. Um, mm -hmm. So that seems to be, um, this is probably not just typical for Kerala, but uh, I mean, it, it was especially bad in Kerala as far as the mask mandates are concerned. This is at least what they yes. told us. It's different in other parts of the country, but I think in general, that may be representative. That I I think you said the same thing. Uh, at least what you what you told us amounts to the same thing. It's the people who are not so much um, in touch with the mainstream media, including CNN. Those people who still are in touch with reality, who were beginning to think, oh man, there's something wrong about this. And maybe they're the ones who are smart enough to not get the real vaccines, but just get the certificates, right? Yeah, that, that's very true. Actually, Raina, Kerala is like the China of India. It's a communist kind of hello. Like, wow. you know, people out there swing far left and uh, they've had a very draconian response that uses a lot of technology to, you know, uh, quarantine people and uh, keep a tab on people. So I would say Kerala is one of the most, like it has the highest lit literacy rate in India. And that's actually a very bad thing because literacy means, you know, more, like very, very strong levels of programming. Like, I think almost 95% of the population is literate. So they're all consuming, you know, uh, when, when, when we talk about literacy in India, like it's not like people are uh, pursuing independent thought and <laughs> going online and uh, thinking critically of like uh, trying to subscribe to alternative news sources. When you talk about literacy in India, it just means that they're following the mainstream media or they understand how to read English very well. And they're in part of the university curriculum and stuff. So it's all like mainstream brainwashing that most of these people get. So Kerala has been one of the worst states. In fact, like uh, I would say even when the Kerala government kind of relaxed the restrictions, people voluntarily on their own were, you know, wearing tutu masks. Like there's a time where, you know, Ambar actually, like one of our, you know, people I work with closely, Ambar, he actually goes to Kerala a lot for business trips. So he was like, this place is the worst, you know, and that's that's why the cases were so high because people like even when they were, you know, the masks were kind of eased off. People were still wearing two masks and he's like almost everyone's wearing two masks over there and almost everyone's got their vaccine and they're waiting for the boosters when the boosters are not even out. So that that's the kind of situation in Kerala. But I think Rhino is because you went to Ayurvedic clinic is because the, you know, the people who are generally alternative, like the people who practice homeopathy, Ayurveda, mm -hmm. natural medicine out here, they generally have a hunch that way because they they anyway have this bias against so allopathy, which is a good thing, you know, that yeah. kind of helps them to think critically. But uh, general population-wise, also your analysis is correct that people who are not really in tune with uh, mainstream sources, they've always had a hunch. But again, as I said, like things in India, 
at least until now at least until we came on the scene like uh, people usually wait for political parties to come and oppose something and then they will support them but because there's virtually been no political opposition even the people who've had a hunch they've not really known what to do with it other than comply because even though they, they think that okay maybe this is wrong but non compliance means a fine especially when you know a lot of people are just living paycheck to paycheck out here people can't really afford to pay fines or they don't have savings or there's no kind of you know public uh, net that's that's holding them in case you know people do get pushed into poverty or anything like that so there's a lot of fear of non compliance just from the monetary side of things because india is not a rich country to begin with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and is that correct that there's now an endeavor going on that they want to um uh, make it more complicated to treat with um uh, natural or ayurveda medicine um and that they i heard that they are now um, giving out license you have to get a license for a doctor to treat this uh, to uh, uh, you know treat with these old fashion methods and it's an effort to kind of kill off this branch of medicine and like force everyone to go to uh, allopathic medicine which is not so popular in india right now what's what's the situation there uh, no personally I, i don't know of any no no new kind of legislation as such has been passed uh, you know pertaining to what you're saying i think uh, what you're referring to is the who right? like some people have this kind of sentiment that uh, they're going to the the globalists and the kind of uh, people who are connected in the network are going to try to you can say uh, control ayurveda or natural medicine in some way because the who is getting involved in establishing like a center of ayurveda which is like lies in with the who in gujarat uh, so that's where a lot of people are getting the hesitation from that they they're going to be making moves to you can say make it harder for ayurvedic practitioners and people like that to treat covid but uh, not covid but i mean just just, just generally like uh, that way but uh, as far as uh, you know the, the context of natural medicine and treating covid goes like our supreme court uh, has like we have a judgment from last year wherein they did rule that uh, people have a right to choose like whatever pathy they want to go through so whether it's homeopathy or uh, allopathy or ayurveda like people have a right to go and choose and uh, these practitioners have a right to treat them and also we had filed a case sometime i would say one and a half years back in the bangalore high court uh, you know asking for right to choice of treatment because there was a time where only allopaths were allowed to treat covid patients especially in the right in the beginning of the pandemic and we had won that case so after that like they did allow homeopaths and ayurveda so i think like uh, the stuff you were talking about right now is stuff that people are anticipating mm-hmm. because of the new public health bill that's uh, waiting to be passed in parliament and this whole who kind of pandemic treaty as well as who setting up the center for you know natural medicine and stuff in gujarat i think that's that's why people are having this anticipation but as far as legislation goes nothing to that effect has been passed yet as per my knowledge mhm yeah but you know this is happening everywhere apparently um in many countries in many individual countries including germany um there is a an ever growing pushback against the measures you you probably know that the vaccine mandates failed um in the bundestag they couldn't push this through yes um and uh in the united states uh the mass mandates fell a couple of days ago there was this yes. ruling by uh, by a florida uh federal court um yeah. regarding very flights, well right? written yeah. i read the entire yeah. decision while i'm on the while i was on the plane very well written it's going to be hard um on appeal for the other side to overturn turn this but at the same time 
what we're seeing is um, the WHO trying to um, undermine national sovereignty by imposing their freely invented uh, constitution and their freely invented laws, which have no democratic underpinning, by imposing this on the rest of the world. So this seems to be the next step. They're trying to implement a new world order, a one world government through health regulations of the World Health, uh, health Organization. I think, however, that at least in the Western uh, world, in particular in Europe, people are aware of this. Um, are they aware of this in India as well? Uh, right now, our community is, but uh, people at large aren't. So actually, like, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to doing, uh, do more work around this. Like, we have a lot of teams that have been set up on the ground that are going out and spreading awareness around surrounding these issues. And uh, also on YouTube, you know, we're, we're constantly trying to reach more and more people and get them uh, to be a part of the network. So that's, that's what I was commenting on earlier. Like, in the West, because you've had... Uh, researchers like maybe David Icke or people who've been talking about this, uh, you know, research for years and like decades. Because of people like that, you have a lot of people who are aware about the new world order and the plot that the globalists have. But in India, the, the awareness is really low. Like out here, when you speak about these issues, a lot of people judge, judge us as like saying that we're trying to import the most of American culture into India by talking about conspiracy theories and things like that. So the issues that the majority of the population are concerned about out here have to do with religion and caste and party politics and things like that. So these issues are still, I would say, not yet in the public consciousness. But uh, that's that's why we've been using the court cases so much. Like one of the strategies with, you know, how we were thinking about the court cases earlier is as well, like even if we lose the case in court, at least it'll help us to bring the message out to people that like this is going on because we practically get no coverage in the mainstream media. Even when we do protests like a Protests rarely get covered. They've been covered once or twice by, you know, the, the mainstream media that way. So yeah, we are right now, like going forward, as I was speaking earlier, we're going to be doing more work, spreading awareness and building, you can say, like protests on the ground against the new public health bill that these people want to pass in parliament this monsoon session, which is going, and wherein they're going to try to mandate uh, vaccines and, you know, uh, health measures. And also the new WHO treaty that, that they're working on, they're going to be spreading awareness and building resistance against these two things like uh, in the months to come. That's that's where we are going in the short term. I think that is really, really important. The fact that in India, the judiciary still seems to be functioning pretty well, at least much better than in most of the uh, countries of the Western world. Yes. Maybe apart from the United States, because in the United States, there are still pockets not just pockets, but very large pockets of resistance where the rule of law still counts. That's that's why this uh, ruling, the anti-mass mandate was possible. And I think this is why it's so important for us to be connected, India with uh, Europe, the United States, so that uh, we can exchange the information, the positive information, and even quote, cite the cases that were won in India, for example. This can be done, and this is done, in British courts and in, in US courts as well, because um, this is all based on, or parts of the, um, parts of the, many of the legal rulings are, of course, uh, based on uh, common law. 
which as um, uh, most people understand, not only exists in the Anglo-American countries, but parts of the rulings also, ex or of the, of the law, exist in India as well, and in Australia and other parts of the world. So that's why it's so important to be able to cite an Indian case if you want to push a case against the mass or the vaccine mandates. Yes, I totally agree with that. Like personally, I've, I've been trying to network with the international alternative media. Like I know a lot of people who are part of the alternative media. Like I mentioned that I posted an interview with James Corbett, who I know you got on the Corona Investigative Committee as well as like I know other people in the alternative media field as well. So I think we need to really build these alliances so that we can keep you guys updated about whatever's going on. Because yeah. like uh, when we, like we all have YouTube channels, but we are mostly trying to communicate to Indians. So we're all talking in Hindi. So you guys wouldn't really follow, you know. So yeah, I mean, like uh, we have a Telegram channel where we do post updates in English and we do make some English content once in a while to kind of keep people updated. But yeah, I mean, like I, I look forward to more collaboration, kind of uh, information sharing uh, from all our sites that way, so that we can put up a collective fight against the, you know, global deep state. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, it is extremely helpful to have this connection and to be able to exchange the, um, well, information that shows you that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Because if we were only connected with countries where nothing works, Europe, for example, uh, that would not be good enough. But this way, we can give each other hope and we can yep. show each other that there's actual reason, real reason for hope. And that they're not going to go. They're not going to get away with this. No way. But we have to be aware of the fact that the uh, that the propaganda is picking up again uh, because they can see that their um, control grip is loosening in many parts of the world. Uh, many people, even if they don't understand what this is really about, are sick and tired of the measures. And uh, for that reason, they also begin to question. Are we being told the truth about Ukraine, the big yes. breakdown of supply chains, et cetera? And that's a really good sign because it's getting us closer to the real truth. That, that's way true. I think other than COVID also, a lot of the issues that are on the horizon, like rising inflation, as well as supply chain breakdowns, shortages, uh, the geopolitical situation. I think, uh, you know, like we're going to have to be working on all fronts to expose uh, how the globalists are really manipulating in all these areas because there's going to be a boogeyman for everything, right? Like they're blaming inflation on Putin when it's really all the central banking issues that have been causing it for years. So yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of fronts to fight on, but if, if we all are connected, then we'll be able to do it in a much uh, easier and coherent fashion. Yeah, right. That's the point, yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly important. looking forward to uh, cooperating with you guys. It's a lot of fun. I've, I've, yeah. I've made right a right. lot of friends in India. Yeah. I mean, under the circumstances, this is not funny, of course, but, you know, every once in a while, it makes sense to be able to laugh. Uh, we even had a, <laughs> what was it? Yoga laughing session. <laughs> and it worked. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet, sweet. Man. Great stuff. Like, happy, happy to connect with you guys. And uh, yeah, Great. Let's, let's see what we can do. Cool. Fantastic. So, keep up the good work. And uh, Thank you. I'm Thank impressed you. how organized uh, everything is here in India from the resistance side. And it's it's really, I think it's, it's going in the right direction. Yes. Thanks a lot. It's great. Yeah, it's um, again, it's uh, we are very grateful in particular for, for what you guys are doing in India, extremely grateful, because it shows us 
it can be done and that the judiciary is still important because there, there can be no democracy if there's no rule of law. Yeah. Very true. Appreciate your feedback. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johan. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Take care, guys. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Thank you. Yeah. Weiter geht's. Wir switchen zurück um, ins Deutsche und haben jetzt uh, We have Dr. Thomas Kuchen with us. He's a general practitioner. And I think, Mr. Kuchen, end of last year, I've seen the video later on. Uh, for some reason, I couldn't open it. I saw a video you made, and I thought this sounds like the analysis of Professor Desmond. 30% are hypnotized uh, by the psychoterror. 40% can be addressed, and there is another 30%, that's us. And um, when we phoned, uh, when we spoke on the phone, I was saying that's where you got it from. But you also said that you yourself are an experienced uh, psychiatrist. I think you worked there for three years. Yes, that's correct. Can you hear me? Well, good evening, and uh, thank you very much for the invite. My name is Sir Thomas Kuchen. And as a so-called general uh, practitioner, I work in Staufen in Breisgau in South Germany um, because I uh, would like to focus on um, mass psychology. I do believe that I have a bit of uh, competency that I was working in a psychiatric uh, clinic before I became um, a, um, a GP. And therefore, as a GP, I had an above average number of psychological uh, psychiatric patients, but also like to mention that a uh, teacher at university um, pointed anthroposophy uh, out to me, which stopped me from turning my back on medicine, because I was really suffering from the picture of humans that the university gave us, was focused too much on cells, enzymes, um, feedback loops, uh, brain functions, etc., but uh, ignoring humans uh, as a whole, um, they were dissolved into nothing. A self-understood uh, demand uh, by Goethe is medicine keeps people uh, busy entirely because it looks at the entire person. This invokes the idea that the whole uh, person is um, full of spirit and that every organ and function makes its contribution to the spiritual well-being of the person so that the doctor the physician as a human being needs to try to uh, connect to the entire patient as a spiritual being Faced with a, this gigantic challenge, I still feel that I'm a, only a beginner, but at least that much I am, because that's what's really crucial. The fundamental approach that we take to other people 
to perceive them, evaluate them, and treat them. Medicine mostly relies on uh, medication and the art of medicine in itself. But a large part of the success can depend on how the therapist speaks to the patients. And in medicine, we must stick to the truth and nothing but the truth. The real truth in the sense of the human as a whole. And that takes me to the big problem of detecting truth um, under the conditions of the pandemic. Here, patient and physician are faced with three crucial questions. First, can I realistically judge the uh, infection, um, infectious environment and the meaningfulness of state measures? Secondly, how can I maintain my spirit vis-a-vis -vis the incredible injustice imposed on me and um, my beloved by state measures? How can I face increasing dehumanization and um, loss of dignity without becoming depressive? And the third and most difficult question would be, can I develop an understanding for those people who regularly react so irrationally when I confront them with the other two questions? Who have a strange arrogance brushing away all my experience and arguments without even giving them a chance in the first place, who don't seem to realize how what they say and do um, belie their uh, scientific knowledge and day-to-day -day experience and who feel that they are right, who denounce me or reproach me of immoral immorality and who have no, not the shadow of a doubt. The first question, what is uh, true um, in the context of the claim of a pandemic was answered uh, by Mr. Bhakti and Wolfgang Wodak very early on. And then the work of this uh, Corona Committee has given us ever more background uh, of economic, medical, psychological, social, economic and um, historic backgrounds, contexts, and depravities. The second question, how can I face these uh, dehumanizing challenges without growing depressive? I could say a lot about this, but I would only like to point out two books by two people who both had to face the challenges of a concentration camp. First of all, the book 
saying yes to life, despite it all, by the Austrian um, psychiatrist Viktor Franken. And secondly, the book Life Begins Now by the blind French author Jacques Lucemont. And now the third and uh, most difficult question. Can I understand all these people with whom I can talk about anything else in an appropriate way, but who snap out of reach the moment we talk about the, the topic of COVID. And this is where we move into the field of mass psychology and mass psychosis. A helpful def definition in my uh, point of view uh, of mass psychosis, also called collective uh, psycho uh, psychosis, uh, is one I found in a lexicon of neuroscience. It says, a mass psychosis uh, are psychotic behaviors by people in a mass situation where reasonable behavior is overridden by induced irrational, sometimes uh, paranoid behavior where reality-driven uh, self-functions are overridden." End of quote. These reality-driven uh, ego functions encompass a clear uh, reason, empathy, and conscious. These functions, under the conditions of a mass psychosis, are given up by many people. And this makes it quite clear that the problem is not people's opinion, but the fact that the people affected, without their noticing, have lost rational, any rational connection to their opinion, which is why they cannot question their own opinion. But all people never succumb to this mass psychosis. So there are people who accepted the corona narrative and followed all the rules and recommendations, but who, without major problems, are capable of questioning all of this as soon as they receive additional information. And here, I would like to give you the extreme example of a lady who told me the following about herself recently. Based on a uh, existing uh, phobia, which had been a problem for decades, she was, of course, uh, frightened when in March 2020, the first horror stories um, came up. She immediately disconnected from the world, radically, month after month after month, until after a year and a half, a friend of hers 
with a single conversation was able to take her out of this fear by simply showing her the facts and backgrounds. So this lady had believed lock, stock and barrel to uh, in the public narrative, publicized narrative, without losing her ability uh, to engage reason, which people who succumb to mass psychosis do lose. The report of this lady is so important because it shows something that I keep underscoring. It shows that fear is not the crucial factor in creating a mass psychosis. Fear, however, is a very effective means of propaganda because it immediately and sustainably reaches many people at an emotional level, catching their attention. Nevertheless, fear is not the crucial key. Because if it was only a question of fear, then anybody who was afraid would be grateful to any person who can show them that there's no need for fear. <coughs> the crucial agent in creating a mass psychosis is propaganda as such. Because propaganda uses the principle of systematic pro uh, repetition. Based on systematic repetition, the propaganda is so astonishingly effective. And it is the more effective, the simpler the message is that is repeated systematically and the more acknowledge the authority that makes the claim. Systematic repetition is as magic as the pendulum of the hypnotizer manipulating the recipient's awareness so deeply that they cannot question the claim made anymore. In short, propaganda is an hallucinating drug. And it makes a lot of people dependent, addicted. If you see that they have to keep watching the news to see uh, more updates on uh, incidences and new killer variants, etc. And I'll go into more detail now. In his book, why do the lambs stay silent? Uh, the psychologist um, Rainer Mosfeld uh, points to psychological experiments that showed the following. A claim in the, its evaluation by people increases in uh, truth the more frequently it is made by a person in a situation of authority. And that also works even if this statement had previously been deliberately called incorrect. Even if before the experiment, the um, subjects of the experiment were inform uh, informed about this phenomenon, the effect was the same. The more often people hear the claim 
from the person in a position of authority, the more the uh, perceived truth level increases. That is frightful enough in itself. But this principle of systematic repetition in its effectiveness can be perfidiously increased because this principle uses two factors. First of all, that of acknowledged authority on the one hand, and secondly, the claim made by this authority or by referring to this authority being systematically repeated. And then you have to wonder how can uh, the effectiveness of the authority be increased and how can the effectiveness of the claim be increased? The authority can increase its effectiveness tremendously by not only using its intellectual power, but also external power by um, putting fines on uh, contacts um, uh, by imposing curfews, use of police forces, military, etc. And the effectiveness of, of the claim can be increased by using a claim that is a deliberate lie, because a lie in itself transports uh, the impulse to remove the imagination of the person lied to from the real world. This repetition of a lie by an authority in most people has the very effect that we described in the, uh, that we saw in the description of the mass psychosis, i.e. that reality-driven ego uh, functions are abandoned. But these reality-driven ego functions are not completely abandoned, but selectively. For all that has to do with the topic of the propaganda. In this context, I um, saw and I came on an observation of Rudolf Steiner. He describes exactly this principle that the people uh, using authority, they should be told things that are wrong and that this is done in a systematic way. And by this, as according to Steiner, the uh, consciousness is dimmed down to the consciousness in dreams. And by dimming this consciousness down will undermine that part of the human being which is the individual awareness since the mid of the 15th century coming up in the souls of the people. And this is a development that is tried to be stopped because it will take the people away from medieval beliefs and uh, develop the modern consciousness of science. The counter 
powers want to keep the human beings in an infantile group awareness without any individual independency, but just with a dim, dim phrase like us, we are solidary, we follow the rules, we take care for each other, we roll up our sleeves, we are the good. And Steiner comments on this by saying, just as the dream dampens the daily awareness, the awareness of the people is dampened to become a numb awareness of the society. This is done by teaching the people the lies. It is a magnificent diabolic enterprise. At the time, Steiner referred to a lie campaign of the Catholic Church, which again now is right up front in uh, arguing for this mass psychosis. Propaganda dampens the awareness down to the dimness of a dream, and the consciousness of a dream is exactly what uh, characterized the collective psychosis, which is the absence of the ego functions of the individual awareness, those that connect the ego reliably to reality. This includes ratio, and this ratio is a self-working ratio, self-protecting ratio, and um, develops a vivid sense of the miraculously um, mysteria which are around the human individuality. And on the reality, uh, ego functions include empathy and consciousness. In dreams, there is nothing questionable for us, neither anything as a matter of fact, not anything that is questionable on a moral side, because the questioning instance is asleep. This is the characteristic of the dream consciousness that all the irrational of the content of our dreams and the unloving behavior in our dreams is not aware to us. And this makes clear in what kind of poor and feeble and tragic mental state people are in if they are sub, um, exposed to mass psychosis, following everything that is involved with that mass propaganda and the current hygiene propaganda is managed in such a genius way that it does not not cover any area of life. Such a person, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer expressed it, is uh, made stupid by the propaganda. In a short uh, tractat of the stupidity, Bonhoeffer characterized the appearance of this people in a very precise way. 
This uh, should be read out as a whole, but I would like to restrict to a couple of sentences. He writes, one feels it in discussing with them that you are not talking to the person himself as a person, but with um, powerful paroles that have taken power over him. He is in a ban. He is blinded. He is in his own being um, abused in a way and made to a willingless uh, instrument. He'll be able of all evil, evil and unable to recognize the evil he does. This is the danger of diabolic abuse. End of the quote. That immediately leads us to the question of the culpability of those people who are in this exceptional state and possibly bully other peoples or denounce other people who mistreated children over months in school and even um, ejected people to injury or death. We have to become aware that these people under the effect of a drug which makes it impossible for them to see that they are in the effect of a drug. As Professor Dresmid says, in such a mass situation, about 30% of the people develop the full mass psychoses. Another 40% uh, do accept the propaganda and irrational thinking and behavioral patterns, but still, if the opportunity turns out that they can come back with the reactivation of their ego functions, these 70% together are of course going to wear the masks as long as the corona propaganda is not stopped and that they it will not stop is a job of Lauterbach and others by demonstrably thinking and discussing about new killer viruses, thinking about new measures for autumn and still defaming the unvaccinated people in the healthcare. And the other 30%, they fight back against the magic of the propaganda. And in most cases, <clears throat> only because they <coughs> have um, resisted the temptation to give themselves up. The ego functions are tiring, and they don't see this as a psychological relief, but as an existential threat. I feel that I have to negate myself if I agree to the narrative. From history, we know that in the establishment of totalitarian systems, it is important how these 40% behave who are somewhere um, between awareness and dream, or as you, Mr. Seal, Mr. Filmich says, are on top of the wall and don't know what side to down, jump down to. And these people 
rather tend to be awakened, um, the more visible a public opposition is made. Even if they are irritated by that irritation and uh, tell the protesters are crazy, it still has an effect. The opposition has an effect. And only then um, this allows the government to r recklessly uh, take their role after all opposition has vanished, because then more and more people of this group will fall into the dream awareness and have no scruple. And even to carry out the baddest evil as um, an, un, as an issue without alternatives. Rana, you're mute. <clears throat> um, right, so um, there's too much music in the background here. I try to uh, blank it out. But, uh, Mr. Kuken, what about those who are really responsible? Not the, the subjects, um, who we spoke about now, the 40% who um, can be convinced or the 31% who cannot be convinced. I also believe that if we talk about uh, responsibility in a legal sense, if it uh, is in a sort of a, a dream or um, if you're under the influence of drugs, you won't have any uh, culpability in most cases at least because we're talking of people who don't know what they're doing or who can't control what they're doing. That is the usual, um, um, that's the um, characteristics um, of uh, culpability, uh, legally speaking. But what about the people who are responsible? Those must be psychologists, um, psychiatrists who must have spent years trying to optimize this uh, propaganda, this psychological terror to achieve the objective uh, complete control. What's the objective? How would you um, uh, value them, evaluate that, them? That's a study course in itself, and I don't have my own opinion in that because I have not uh, had any breakfast with these people as yet. But quite surely we can say that they as well are not in a state of conscious awareness which is comparable to normal human common sense, so to say, and I would call it this elitarian society lives in uh, worlds of fantasy which are completely detached from reality, in the reality that we try to uh, get along with. They have a certain image of us and uh, of our reality which by no means matches to the real conditions and that is going to be the weak point that they are going to trip up on because in the end um, the people themselves and I'd like to come to that in a minute, have no idea of the people themselves uh, because people, the human beings, are uncalculable. And that is what they want to do. They draw all their security from controlling, modulating, monitoring, um, forecasting things, and then um, set everybody out to follow these prognoses. Um, they need this assurance and uh, 
the um, intermediate uh, level are our politicians who are somewhere between us and those up there who um, for decades are known to um, have learned that they can lie and they will get through with it and they can't imagine that this will go wrong at some point and these two years seem to prove them right it's incredible what they were what they got away with without questioning uh, these are of course phenomena and that they get away with it that they up on the top get through with the medium level that all all that only works because of the masses that go along and that is a pseudo democracy that we have just as an MP from the parliament uh, before the um, um, vote says that he would be against it but he has to follow the rule of the electorate that's madness but of course yes if you hypnotize the masses or whatever you would call it then the uh, will of the electorate and if something bad happens and that's pushed in the media and uh, then the death penalty will be introduced uh, we'll have it within a matter of weeks everything is possible well there's one person in particular that I am looking at here. It's really a, an historian, a professor, it seems, of, uh, of history, Harari. Uh, he's an Israeli who seems to be one of the uh, key tools of the propagandists, a willing tool who believes, however, that he's in the saddle. His entire arrogance, and this is why I believe his entire madness becomes uh, apparent when you listen to him talk. He is really an historian. He doesn't know what he's talking about, but for some reason it seems to be so fascinating for him um, that he pushes this. He openly um, has the opinion that people can be hacked like computers, that they can be controlled, and that measures such as these, i.e. the propaganda for corona, must be used in order to hack and control people. I can't understand how anybody could be proud of this sort of thing and how one could believe that it's important unless these people are such broken psychopaths that uh, they're afraid if they don't have any control. Yes. Security comes from control, and uh, that is something that you can get quite far with, and in the end, you'll have to fail because reality will prove you wrong. But uh, how many lives will go down on the way is something I don't want to calculate on. Yeah, that's unfortunately more than obvious, as we can see by now. I keep hoping that uh, there will be a big bang soon enough, because contrary to many others, I believe that we will benefit more from the big bang, whatever um, it will look like, than the uh, other side will benefit. The other side believes that the big bang will lead to the Great Reset, and this uh, conviction um, has grown not only from discussions from uh, physicians and uh, other scientists, physicians like you, um, 
Oddly enough, similar um, positions are held by people like economist um, Armstrong. They, um, uh, he says that the other side is not capable of understanding people. Um, the hope for digital control under, uh, underestimates and forgets that people are unpredictable and it, it uh, underestimates that uh, a lot of things can't be calculated, can't be predicted. Yes, I would like to have a look at the future because um, everything depends on the 30% and their awareness, their initiative and their humaneness. And these are the ones I have uh, really taken the bottom-up approach from the individual. One can see at the top what are the interests, what's the power sharing, but the crucial point is the individuality which has to be, which is to be extinguished. That is what causes the trouble in the system. That means those who have some individual consciousness left and have their ego functions, ratio, empathy, consciousness, you have to bear in mind that we are at the risk of tire being tired out after two years. And for these functions, these ego functions, we have the English word use it or lose it and right. this applies every day and it is tiresome and this is why it's understandable that few are enthusiastic about doing this but it's more important than to those who um, get through this hinge point the hinge point is the human being and that is what counts and uh, so this uh, minds that rule now, they hate the free human being and they want to do everything possible to prevent that individual consciousness to awake and they don't need a community of creative, creative uh, individuals. They need a controllable herd. They want to reverse their development and uh, trigger us to give up our individual awareness towards a common awareness for everyone. Authority and lies are the powers that propaganda makes use of. Uh, authority and uh, lies is something that I want to talk about. Authority, if a nine-year-old insists that something is that or the other way because the teacher told them so that is correlating to the age but if a 19 year old says this then we should be worried about him in this sense we should uh, uh, be worried about all of us because the old belief in authority is more or less the power that rules all of us in the recent times zone the authorities have been replaced in the past they were in rome and now they are in berlin while the 
demand that we have to trust authorities is kept up again and again and again in the pandemic. Um, who mistrusts science is a traitor. There's nothing more unscientific than believing in science. The belief in authority is the biggest obstacle in a to a real democratic change of the social community. The internal and external security and one area of internal security is hygiene. Democracy becomes a farce if the civilized people um, are mentally kept as infants in our uh, lazy, in our society, which is lazy of thinking. We don't call the things that they are. We are. We say the things as they call. If some person is is called a philanthropist, and the propagated injection is a vaccination, he's a philanthrope. And then it is a vaccination. That is it. That's the reflex of the belief in authorities. And a daily fight has to be fought against all kinds of belief in authorities. And that will take us to the topic of untruthfulness. And I want to be a bit provocative here, which in my sense, or in my view, cannot be called upon seriously enough if we have the generally accepted medical knowledge and skill of the universities as of today and call that human medicine that is untruthful. Why? Because the real human, the real human aspect, the humane aspect of it does not really exist in a generalized form. People are different by all other natural beings that human beings are only individuals and individuals means a unique set of mind manifesting with the help of a body according to its mind. And what the individuals are mostly common in is primarily, and that forms their without, uh, with their, that um, is their uniqueness. But this uniqueness is ignored by the prevailing science opinion by praising the reproductibility as the only direction of their research. As mechanics, human medicine wants to build on generally applicable laws. If human phenomena are looked at statistically, I don't just have to look at my object and assume that these are individuals negating them of that individuality, but myself as well. And then I'll be left with nothing more than a herd and an observer who will 
forget to be a human being when observing the herd. Statistics do have their value, but only in the context of a view that excludes the individuality of the individual person. Every perception, every ruling, every judging, every assessment in the area of the humane has to be carried by individual humaneness in observing and respecting the human individuality. If we hear sentences like Angela Merkel from May 2020, this virus is a threat for our democracy, then you will immediately have to um, call that a lie because that is a deliberate misguiding of the individuality. This is what we have to move to, to become aware of the statements of the scientific and political authorities. And in this effort to maintain our capability um, of evaluation, we could arrive at the real value of anthroposophy. Because its real value is not in its medical, pedagogical, or other uh, type of knowledge that you accept from an authority by the name of Steiner. The philosopher Henri Bergson once pointed out the um, questionable fact that our logic um, is still largely a logic of um, solid bodies, and this logic is not capable of handling uh, the fluidity of life or its creativity. Steiner formed anthroposophy such that it can uh, serve as an exercise for us. So in dealing actively with those thoughts, you can train your own thinking. Embedding it into the logic of the living, the logic of the animal, animalistic, the logic of the humane, the logic of the social, etc. Today, everything is still subjugated to the dictate of the logic of solid bodies, reducing nature to a mechanism and humans to a machine that can be understood and reprogrammed at will. So we have a huge scientific gap here, need for uh, to catch up if we want to avoid so the humane to be rationalized away with pseudo-arguments. And we have to rethink human communities from this um, vantage point. The new world order wants to uh, impose a new order on us where we abandon our individuality, where we become part of the collective. <coughs> Accepting the leader of the community as the representative of our joint will. 
if a journalist um, calls our president the conscience of the nation, then he wants to convince us that we have to uh, value the collective consciousness higher than our individual consciousness. A community of individuals can only be uh, formed by individuals who are actively interested in the individuality of other people. So every human soul will then create a never-finished uh, picture of community, and everybody will find ways to in integrate themselves into the community. And let me conclude by making a very important point, and it refers to the need to deal with the small, big, and very big crimes that have been committed and are being committed in the context of the hygiene terror. How are we uh, to deal with the fact that people uh, all around us, people from the very top to the very bottom, have been inflicting on us, on millions of others, and on, above all, on children. Our righteous wrath about this is immense. And to forgive all these atrocities is impossible, nor is it advisable. And I would like to point out a fundamental idea of Steiner's, which, if you adopt it, will show the um, importance of uh, the individual um, consciousness giving the right direction to our outrage. But before I quote Steiner, let me make a brief preliminary remark. If somebody commits a real um, bad thing, like a um, um, swine, then we would easily say that they are a swine. We call them even a, a swine. But we could um, look into the mirror at the same time. If I called someone a pig or a coward, then I have annihilated the person. And I can only see the pig or the coward anymore. It is to indicate, um, uh, I think I've found a language that um, tries to avoid this, where you don't say, you pig, but you say, your pig. Not you idiot, but your idiot. So you distinguish between the person and what they have done. And in this sense, Steiner says the following, let me quote. If people ever understand this huge difference between 
human um, thieves and hatred of the atrocities that afflict people, then there will be a good relationship between people. If we follow our innermost human nature, we never have the possibility of hating a human being. Of course, we have every cause to hate human atrocities, human lack of character, human weaknesses. The big mistake we make in social interaction usually is that what we should uh, feel towards the atrocity, towards the uh, crime that we directed against the human instead. We instinctively do that today, but we have to understand that the new development of human nature will require our distinguishing between the atrocity and the person who commits it and the love that we feel towards this person after all." End of quote. For the current situation, my translation of this is the following. We will have to uh, be aware um, or to beware of two different um, mistakes. First of all, to give free rein to our revenge. And the other mistake would be the opposite i.e. by cowardly putting a veil over everything for fear of further unrest, not uh, confronting the perpetrators with their um, crimes. This is what I would like, I wanted to present to you. I think it's very interesting, Dr. Koken, and I feel uh, inspired by the work of, uh, Ms. of uh, Mr. Steiner and uh, my grandfather was a homeopathic doctor and um, <clears throat> you cannot underestimate this and it's interesting to see that uh, there is a lot of uh, activities going against these uh, uh, types of treatments, uh, marginalizing them, prohibiting them. I think it's very important that we go into our individuality, uh, but not in a hedonistic individuality which doesn't see the other person. I think it is just a self-resting individuality which leads us to perceive the other person with their flaws and, uh, and that we can uh, ask for ourselves to be seen in that way as well. And that... Um, it's not uh, the claim of others, um, what the other person has to do. Uh, I think it is important that everybody gets into their power uh, to do what they can do without uh, taking uh, or expecting power from another person. I don't know if I explained that clearly. That's a bit of my feeling after what you've said. Um, of course, we have to um, s imagine on how to 
deal with all these things that have happened. But I think at this point it is important to make it um, aware to everyone what did happen and uh, show all the monstrosities, um, uh, independent of what one you think about individuals, that all the atrocities are made uh, public and we see the people in their uh, guilt that they have taken upon themselves and that they will have opportunity to recognize and uh, maybe um, try to make good for what they've done. And I think it's uh, quite a way to go to come to a peaceful society. But I think it's very important to point and put the finger in the wound here and everybody sees it actually and uh, can behave respectively at the moment it is pushed under the rug with many people so that they can see what's going on and i think this um, um, process of um, shock is something that everybody has to go through i agree yes um, just a quote from samuel hanneman he says, uh, mildness has a lot of power. Well, what I can well understand, even though for me as a lawyer, as a uh, process lawyer, I became a lawyer because I wanted justice, that you can earn your livelihood with that um, applies for every profession. That was the reason I, why, why I became a lawyer. And if you um, uh, mention two things of uh, unloveliness is um, blind rage and not drawing a veil over uh, all of this. We know this. Uh, we are good people. We never see where the uh, problem is. Both sides are, um, uh, are in their right in their own way. That is great cowardness in my way. But uh, revengefulness is what we actually see in the German courts where people are uh, um, done even worse by um, who have suffered under the police people. Um, this is uh, the crucial thing will be to bring all the truth to light. Uh, there can't be any veil over it. And then one can see and think on how to deal with individuals. I can't really think of any way as yet, but I do think um, on how one could uh, deal with certain corporates. They will simply be um, exploited from all their wealth because everybody who got along the skein, who profited from it, the pharma, the tech, the financial corporates, we need their assets in order to build up a new society and uh, to do proper research in the question on how do we get the dirt out of the body of the peoples. Um, this is the companies who will not be able to survive. Individual people, I don't know. I don't know if we as other people should really concentrate on that. I think uh, the Big Bang is really going to hit these people as well. We don't have to take care. The legal system will need, not need to take care of that probably either. I have a final question. For some, some things that we see, looking at this Harare or the uh, probably um, less um, prominent figure of Lauterbach or Scholz or Joe Biden or, well, whoever, tons of them, 
Bill Gates, and some of these people, if I see how they move, it's so chic, it's so gross that I um, tended to believe they do it because they want to get caught. After all the lies, they really want to statue the example. It's a ride on the razor blade, really what they do, which I think they cannot survive in any means. Does that have some self-destructive tendencies to it, or how would you assume that? Well, if I get out of mass psychology again, well, then the slightest caution or retraction of um, boldness is suicidal because the um, maintenance of mass psychosis is a continuation of um, the authorities. If somebody like Lautermann said today, oh, I might have made a mistake here or there, then the mass uh, psychosis crumbles and uh, I can I can observe it. Um, it's really ridiculous. With every statement by Lauterbach, it becomes more ridiculous. But that doesn't matter. What's crucial is that the masses stay online, uh, stay in line. It doesn't matter what he says. As long as the masses are kept in line, uh, you've you got it right. It's always uh, said if we had a dictator who uh, takes power overnight, has everyone against them, even the, the, their ministers. So he lives in fear. But these people have the majority behind them. That is an incredible achievement. You have to imagine this. The topic of all, the corona lie, didn't play a role in the electoral campaign in Germany. That, that That's impossible. It's, that's impossible to understand. And yet, that's the way it had to be, because only a single question being asked or uh, questioning the narrative in one way uh, and everything crumbles and the media are fully in line 100 percent 150 percent i fear um, it's quite plausible uh it is an imaginable amount of fear which drives this the fear to lose control if the panic can't be kept up and i do I do fear uh, that this is not only fear on their behalf, but that uh, people like Lauterbach, uh, well, you can't count on Joe Biden, but people like Lauterbach and Schultz, that they know what they are doing, that they are deliberately lying. Yes. Absolutely. They won't get out of the trap. No way. It's like the salesperson. He has to sell his car and do everything to avoid any doubt on the part of the buyers that anything could be wrong with the car. So it's just sales psychology, pure and simple. So that's my sad evaluation of the situation. Well, in the end, it's not so sad if you can understand and uh, see through what's going on. If you can't see what's going on, if you're just part of the propaganda, 
or rather object of the propaganda, then things will get difficult. But uh, every week we get a step further. The insights that you have given us um, will take us a step forward, uh, us and our audience. On one side, it is monstrous. On the other hand, uh, and that's why I asked this question earlier on. Are they demasking themselves because they don't get out of that cheekiness that they're up to? Uh, it shows me that it can't be kept up for a long time. We are all the way up the pole. And uh, the uh, more and more people of the 40% see the uh, stupidity and what the Slaughterbach guy says. You can see Mr. Rari with this weird interview that uh, went around where he uh, speaks um, enthusiastically about uh, all of us being uh, hacked and that they can see what we think and that this is great and that um, uh, an algorithm knows uh, when I'm 12 years old whether I'm gay or not. Um, and I think that this bespeaks a lot of uh, desperation um, because they know that only with a control and such intensive uh, control by um, inserting um, a chip under the skin or wherever it shows to be. I don't know if Mr. Ari um, was the one who said that, but I think that bespeaks a lot of desperation that um, they realize that they can't handle humanity anymore, that they need all these technical gimmick um, gimmicks to uh, keep people under control. It is a race. It is a race, and the enemy is, enemy is not asleep, and we can't be either. And we're not. I'm absolutely sure, um, more than ever, that w they will definitely lose this race. Well. They're on the last uh, meters with the exoskeleton, and uh, we are still keeping up, um, at least as far as the awakening is concerned. Great. I think, uh, thank you very much um, for your contribution. I yes, think we've gone much. through a great session again. Well, I'd like to thank you for your work. It's really so important and um, that you should keep it up so conscientiously and loyally. Thank we are you. happy to hear that. Thank you. We do our very best. Thank you. So, um, have a nice weekend and uh, all our audience as well. Viviane, you're going to do the outro. Do we have any videos to play or is that it for today? I think we have had all the video clips. I think nothing more for today. The most important point was what we have talked about today. We don't need any video to foot that. That's true. Well, I think it was a uh, very inspiring end, and many aspects that have been uh, mentioned today um, were interesting. It was really good to see what's happening around the world. So things will move on dynamically, I think. And uh, well, thank you very much. Um, let me point out again that we can only keep up our work if you keep donating uh, money to us. Um, otherwise, we won't be able to do anything. We would like to continue 
to uh, avoid the worst uh, effects of this uh, totalitarian situation. So um, we also need uh, technical support. And I would like to uh, wish um, all of you a nice Friday evening and a good uh, weekend. And I know I'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye bye and have a nice weekend.